this was probably going to get edited out, but I was talking to my dad when you, <laughs> when you sent me the Elephant Man Criterion Collection. I was so excited, and I talked to my dad, and I was like, oh, dad, like, Zach sent me, like, the restoration of the Elephant Man, because my whole life, I remember my dad, like, talking about that movie. Like, I thought he really liked it, and I was explaining it to him, and he goes, I don't know if I, if I ever saw that one. I seen the one with Cher. And I was like, are you thinking of The Mask? Like the Eric Stoltz movie? Like, have, have literally you been quoting a movie that sucks to me for my entire life? Please leave that in the recording. Even if it goes in, it's like the beginning of the episode. It might be the cold open, how let goofy this, that let is. This, let, let this be the cold open. Please and let I'm this like, be the cold open. And I'm like, open. no, Dad. I'm like, John Hurt plays the Elephant Man. Like, Anthony Hopkins is the doctor. Like, we don't get to see the Elephant Man for the first 50 minutes because it's so, like, you know, it's set in shadows and and it's David Lynch style with the ants and stuff. And my dad's like, no, I've seen the Cher one. And I'm like, no! That's fine. Can we please from go – okay, going forward, we're going to refer to Mask, not as Mask, but as the Cher Elephant Man. (laughs) The Cher Elephant Man. The share version of the elephant man. I like that. That's how I'm going to describe it from now on. It's no more mask. It's the share version. podcast where we talk about i don't even know anymore <laughs> cinematic oddities cinematic how do you forget oddities. that part of the intro <laughs> I don't know. cinematic oddities i rob okay we talk Cut. about jimmy c the c stands for cinemodities <laughs> folks we're talking about okay folks we're gonna break from tradition with this it's 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 forget it uh, fans vember is over it is Titanic's Vember. <laughs> I am sitting there crashing the podcast into the iceberg right now. This is what the podcast was designed for. Rob, do you want to take it from here? Yeah, expl- because I think when you say this is what the podcast was designed for, people should have seen this coming. Because at the very start of this podcast, there were three episodes about Titanic. We did the one on Sinking the Mist and the two with uh, Ryan Katzenbach himself. And then we did a Thumbtanic episode, and it's finally getting to the actual Titanic movie. I guess the best way to say this, the reason it's coming up in Fansgiving slash Titanic's giving is because in the 11th hour, we got an email from somebody, Nicole L., and she requested a bunch of things. Titanic was one of them. I saw the email before Zach did, because I'm, as everybody knows, I think I'm the one that usually, you know, keeps the uh, email and responds to people. And I saw this one night, and I went... Man, should I delete this before Zach sees it? Because <laughs> this is finally going to be why he makes me watch this goddamn three-hour, 15-minute Jimmy C movie. But I didn't because I don't play it that way. And I think the next day, Zach told me, he's like, I saw the email. We're doing Titanic. Titanic's Vember. We should do like two episodes on it. And I'm like, oh, my God, Zach, I figured this was going to happen. And here we are. <laughs> oh, yeah. You throw Titanic at me, folks, you are going to get me this, si- this tangentsville. It's 
Like, God, this is my animal collective. I, it I was really thinking is. that. Because now this will be the fifth episode we've done something related to Titanic. The uh, the three sinking in the mist, the one thumbtanic, and now this. I got to catch up. We got to do more Animal Collective. <laughs> I don't think. Okay, thumbtanic is kind of like a half, maybe even like a third. Like, that's. Okay, that, that, well, that's, well, that still puts us at four and change, and there's only been yes. three Animal Collective episodes, I so you know. owe me one now. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, jeez, Lisa. God, no more visual albums. Hey, I recorded the Odd Sack 10-year anniversary. We could discuss that. <laughs> oh, no, no. Bad because touch. the first hour of that is Odd Sack. <laughs> oh, so <sighs> I, I guess I have to say, Nicole, thank you for requesting this. Um, yes, Nicole. Thank you. You, I, I would imagine Nicole, if you have listened to this podcast, you knew that Titanic was going to be the one Zach just, you know, gloms onto. Sorry, we're not doing all the Carrie movies. Uh, that was in the same email. Sorry, we're not doing Hook, nineteen ninety one, which I pushed for a little bit because that movie's a nightmare. <laughs> that movie is a nightmare. Yes, I um, agree. I've never seen the two thousand four Phantom of the Opera, and I don't really have a lot to say about Phantom of the Opera. I have never seen the 1996 Romeo and Juliet. I don't think, unless it was shown to me in like it's, English it's, class. It's delightful. That okay. movie, it's Bas, it's Bas Lerman. Like it's delightful. Okay, it's over okay. the top. It's so. Uh, I oh God, I, I saw that in, in parts of that in English class freshman year of high school, and that movie. It's it's a Bas Lerman film. That's all you need to know. It's it's bonkers. Okay. And it's if Titanic wasn't in the email, <laughs> I would have gone for that. You have Claire Danes, good old Catherine Brewster from Titan, uh, Titanic, Terminator. <laughs> see, somebody, see, anytime anything begins the letter T, it's going to automatically go to uh, Titanic. Yes. Uh, but no, Romeo plus Juliet, that would have been the easy shoe. Like, that would have been like, okay, Rob, we're doing this. I oh, don't care. This. Okay. Because it's bonkers. It's a bonkers hmm. movie. Because it's, it's a 90s retelling of Romeo and Juliet made by Baz Luhrmann. That's, again, that is a definitive cinemati, I would Ooh, say. Oh, interesting. And I have not seen that in 14 years. Yeah, I, 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 if I, like I said, if I have seen it, I don't remember it. And just to round out, the last thing that Nicole requested was uh, Ever After from 1998, which I believe is a update of Cinderella, if I remember correctly. I, I've never seen that. Okay, I don't think I've seen it either. So, so Nicole, you clearly have – well, th- this is why I wanted to talk about all these different things because I think the, the bookends of her requests, because she listed them – the first one was the Carrie movies. The last one was Hook. All of the middle ones are romance movies. <laughs> like Phantom of the Opera, Ever After, which I think is Cinderella, Romeo and Juliet, Titanic. So, Nicole, I think you might be a cinemodity in the fact that you go from Carrie to romance to Hook. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I yeah, can get yeah. It. <laughs> I can dig it. But here we are, talking about Titanic. I guess I, guess I should say... It, this is a pretty small movie. It didn't cost a lot of money. Not a lot of people saw it. Had no impact whatsoever. It, it had very little impact. <laughs> there are no kings of the world because of this movie. So, so I think where I, I before I give it over to Zach because this is going to be a Zach episode with a capital Z A C K. You know, <laughs> damn straight it is. I I do want to mention that. Well, we are discussing another Jimmy C movie. We've actually done a good bit of discussion about Jimmy C on this podcast for good reason. But the thing that I need to bring up, because I don't think we talked about it. Have we ever talked about Jimmy C's birthday, Zach? No, it's August 16th. 
Oh, he is one day, oh, one day away from Ben Affleck. And I saw that Ooh. and I was like, how did we not discuss this if we didn't discuss it? Yeah, no, I never thought about Jimmy C's birthday. Yeah. I just figured he didn't age. I figured he was like immortal. <laughs> He's like a titan. Like he just never aged one way or the other. His Wikipedia page, we should edit to be like, mother, test tube, father, doctor, <laughs> blah, 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 you know? <laughs> doctor <Zeus>. HMFIC. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, what, we've oh. done, we did the first two Terminators on primary episodes. Um, we're doing Titanic today. We talked about aliens in our alien episode. I know I know. we talked a little bit about True Lies with Ryan back in the day. Mm-hmm. So what are we missing? The Abyss and Avatar? Or, or Piranha 2 as well? Piranha 2, The Abyss. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. He doesn't have a long filmography. Yeah, because I, I definitely, because I was thinking, it was like, I was like, have I seen and have we discussed to some extent every Jimmy C film? Because I would have jumped on my rankings. I, I want to rank the Jimmy C movies. I don't count the documentaries. I've never seen them, but I think they're in a different class. I, I want to get your so thoughts I, on I, that. I, I, think... I say that I say, Rob says that as I look up and there's my Ghost of the I Abyss poster see. staring at me. The I'm the only person in the world that has a poster of Ghost of the Abyss hanging in their room. I want that on record. Like I know that for a fact. Go call up Guinness, everybody. <laughs> I no one's gonna contest that that record. Yes, yes. So I I haven't seen those documentaries. But I've seen all of his other movies except Piranha 2. That's the only one I'm missing. I've I've also only seen The Abyss in the extended painful edition because it's way too long and boring. But yeah, so we got to do Piranha 2 and I'll be able to give my Jimmy C rankings. <laughs> and, and Avatar. Well, I've seen Avatar. And we got we, we to gotta talk about them now. I mean, what the... Okay, I've not we'll, watched Avatar in over a decade. I know, I, I think I've only seen Avatar, Avatar like once. April like 2020, <laughs> I'm sorry, 2010. Yeah. Yeah. So oh we'll do we'll do Avatar in what's it scheduled for? Twenty thirty when Avatar two through six are gonna be out. Or I like I that. think Jimmy C helped spread the coronavirus just so Avatar two couldn't be released. <laughs> I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. Just I think we're never gonna get that movie. Like that is gonna be like the new like Terry Gilliam Don Quixote where it's like oh the movie <laughs> sure. that like never got released. Yeah. It's just gonna be like we're gonna hear all these. There's not even rumors about Avatar sequels. Like apparently he's finished two and three. Like he's gone out and been like, okay, we're done with these movies. Like they're basically sitting on the shelf, and yet like nothing leaks about them. There's no hype whatsoever. Like as in like nerd culture hype. Okay. And it's just like how I'm like it's a goddamn like even though I, I think Rob and I have made clear our opinions on Avatar. Like, I, I just want to see another Jimmy C film. Like, I don't care if it's Blue People, the movie. Like, I just want more Jimmy C nonsense. And if there's ever anybody to not bet against, it's him. Like, if there's anyone yeah. that can ever right the wrongs of Avatar, it's him. <laughs> like, he's the only person I would have faith in at this point, like, making a sequel to that film and being like, okay, he turned it around. I, uh, I mean, I would have to see it, I think – I think the audience and Zach knows that I'm in, intrigued by Jimmy C. I think from all of our discussions, it's clear that I don't really enjoy a lot of his movies. <laughs> um, but I'm with you. I would see it. I don't know if I'd watch the first Avatar again in preparation. I think I just want to go in cold because I remember disliking that movie. But I guess that finally brings it to us, uh, to us, to Titanic. Um, mm. So, So everything I said, if the audience couldn't tell, it was a joke. This was... Well, one, I be- well, I know definitely it was the highest grossing film of all time after it came out. 
And I think it was also the most expensive film made at the time that it came out, right? Is that true? Oh yeah. Yeah, it was like it was a 200 million dollar yeah. budget before that became like a commonplace in Hollywood. So so uh so Rob watched Titanic for this recording. And I'm this is this is I just want to do it quick cuz I know <laughs> I like I like how it's in third person. Rob watched yes. Titanic for this recording. Yes. And uh, cuz I know you're going to have so much to say about context and whatnot. You have way more than I do. So much context. But I I don't think I have ever sat down and saw the entirety of this film in one sitting. That is still the case. I, I did not get through this movie in one sitting in preparation for this recording. I basically watched everything up to the iceberg hit in one sitting and then everything after the iceberg hit in the second sitting. Hot take. This movie's pretty good. <laughs> I was surprised. I thought I was really going to be, like, not for it. Because I remember when I think I was familiar with it, I was younger, I was like, this is stupid until the iceberg hits. And then it gets kind of less stupid, but it's still boring romance. I mean, don't get me wrong, I have problems with it. But for a three-hour-plus movie, I was like, this is this is actually not bad. So I have a little bit more respect for this movie now, Zach. And also, I know this is different from your history, I don't think I've seen this since the early 2000s. So here you go, Zach, the floor is now yours. Just I, I don't even know where you want to go. Do you let me know when I have to give a thought on a scene? I guess. <laughs> All right, folks. Two things you should know about this: A, I am taking my HMFIC hat. I'm putting it on backwards. You know I'm serious. And two, today's the first day I ever tried vodka, and I am prepared for this recording. Oh God, was it Dan Aykroyd's Crystal Skull vodka? I looked for that. They didn't have it. Good. It tastes like cleaning product. <laughs> Does it really? I really did not like it the time I tried it, which we ac- we okay. actually talked about on the Trading Places episode. Oh, how about that? Uh, running gag, oddly enough. Um, so, okay, folks, be prepared. Um, if you, how could you you're drink expect- vodka instead of brandy with how many times people say they want I, brandy? I, I know. I, I know because you can't mix brandy with Mountain Dew. Um, well – uh, well, clearly, Zach is not a true alcoholic because he's mixing things. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I'm dipping my toes into the water, the freezing cold water. Uh, no, okay. If you're expecting, like, objective film cinephile Zach for this, like, he's gone. Like, there is no objectivity here, folks, when it comes to Titanic and me. I want you to prepare for this. Um, context. There are three movies that defined me, not just as a film goer, but as a person. In reverse chronological order, Eraserhead, Star Wars The Phantom Menace, and Titanic. Mm-hmm. Well before Star Wars, you had Zack the Titanic person. Um, my history with Titanic was my mother went to go – it's funny. My mother had a friend when we lived in Florida who was the mother of one of the kids who I went to school with in Florida. And she – this woman, her name was Leslie. She's probably responsible for who I am as a person more so than maybe even my parents because she's the person that introduced – that basically asked my mother to go see Titanic. And she's the same person two years later that suggested that we all go see Star Wars The Phantom Menace. Same person. Just putting that out there. So my mother went to go see Titanic with this woman. I was not there. My mother saw it and was like – I don't even remember. Obviously, my mother mother loved Titanic. Okay. Um, and whatever she said to me when I was five years old, I was born in August of 92. My mother took me to go see it. And long story short, I saw Titanic five times in theaters as a five-year-old. That's how much <laughs> I loved it. As a five-year-old. This was not like I was dragged to it. Voluntarily. 
the joke with my mother was my, the joke my mother had was during the uh, scene where Jack draws Rose, she would cover my eyes so uh, I wouldn't see the nudity. Okay. Yes, but five years old, five times in theaters. I can still remember when the VHS came out over the summer of 1998, and my mother would not buy it for me because it was being saved as for a birthday present for me. Uh, my mother was horrible with that. Things would come out that I want, and she would deliberately not let me have them because my birthday or Christmas was right around the corner. Mm -hmm. And I can still remember getting the VHS copy for my birthday in 1998 from my brother George and his wife Sue, um, who are the parents of my nephew. And I that videotape, the dual cassette tapes. I treasured that until I got the DVD in 2005 because I kind of wore the VHS tapes out. <laughs> and then I got the Blu-ray once it came out and I think September 2012. And good old uh, Barry, a friend of the show, Barry, he got sent I, – I, I offered him a bunch of my VHS tapes and I think he asked for Titanic. So he is in now possession of uh, my original VHS copy of Titanic. Okay. I wonder if he feels the same way about – well, one – I wonder if he has any way to play it. But I, I think I said to you, Zach, when you gifted it to me, your VHS of Gremlins, I was like, I can't play this because I don't want to wear it out anymore. <laughs> exactly. For in oh, God, almost, Robbie, God bleep that out. In Barry's case. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will bleep it out. I won't even edit it out. I'll just bleep it out because that's okay, good. <laughs> good. In Barry's case, he doesn't have to worry because I'm pretty sure if you put that into a VCR, he wouldn't know. It would still play, but I don't think he'd be able to see anything. He might hear some distorted voices. Yeah, uh, no, Titanic, uh, the joke too, when I was in kindergarten, they tried to diagnose me with ADD, and my mother's argument to that was, he sat through Titanic five times voluntarily <laughs> without, like, ever asking to, like, get up or do anything. Clearly, my son does not have a problem. You people just want to shove Ritalin down everybody's throats. Uh, after, again, Titanic actually held the record for the movie I had seen the most times in theaters in five okay. until Star Wars Revenge of the Sith in 2005. But then it got eclipsed in spring of 2012 when it was re-released as part of the whole 3D thing Jimmy C was doing for the 100-year anniversary of the sinking. And I saw it in IMAX 3D when I was in college in Albany, New York. Um, so Titanic to this day holds the record for the movie I've seen the most amount of times in theaters at six. Um, we'll get into the IMAX 3D thing probably later, uh, or maybe even right now. I'm not sure if Rob cares. Um, I was kind of underwhelmed by it. My oh, main uh. – the 3D wasn't really memorable. It was like, – it's one of those things where I think Rob and I have talked about it off mic is that I don't see any point in seeing movies in a movie theater that you can watch on, like, on home video unless you've never seen them on the big screen before. Yeah. Um, I know why I went to go see the original Star Wars trilogy uh, in the summer of 2019, being really excited for it, and then like sitting in the theater and being like, eh, I'm like, there's no point to this. Okay. Like, it's just you're seeing it on a big screen, like the movie's still the movie. Um, and I think that's like certain movies I think can transcend that. I'm sorry, um, let me rephrase that. I think certain movies are so – what's the word? Um, powerful that it doesn't matter whether you see them on a big screen or small screen. I think they could just, they're good no matter what size you're watching them. Sure. I, th I think Titanic works whether it be an IMAX or it works on an iPhone. I, I don't think, I think just certain levels of storytelling just go well beyond the presentation of the film themselves. Uh, unless you're seeing a film that you want to see on the big screen that you've never seen before. Like I'd love to see Lawrence of Arabia on the big screen. One of my all-time films I miss not seeing on a big screen was um, Tron Legacy, oddly okay. enough. 
Odd sack, of course. Uh, of well, course. well, no, yeah. Well, that was that was my joke, but I did want to ask you because um, I thought you were going to go in the three D direction. I, one of the things I really liked about this movie that I I didn't think I was going to have so much attraction to is that intro in the underwater, like going through the decrepit Titanic. You know, the decaying. We get to see the fish and crabs kind of living in there now. I was thinking that would be really cool to see on the big screen, but I'm a sucker for underwater stuff. I wanted to ask you about the three D. What what did, if anything, do you think that added? Because I know we've talked about how there was a difference in Avatar 3D when we saw it, where it was very immersive, but then afterwards all the 3D was like Captain America, where he throws his shield and his shield comes out at you, and it's like, there, there's gimmick 3D like Captain America, and then there's immersive 3D like Avatar. What was it for Titanic? Oh, it was, oh well, it's, it's, well, it's Jimmy C., so it was immersive 3D, sure. which, I thought, which I don't like. To me, that adds nothing to it. I love gimmick 3D. I think that's the only reason why it, that's the reason why it exists. It's a gimmick. It yeah, that, yeah, gimmick. that's where we disagree that I think the immersive is more interesting. I don't want to see Johnny Depp's Mad Hatter throw his hat for no reason other than they can shoot it in 3D. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we're going to have to agree to disagree on that. Yeah. Um yep. the only the only thing there's only two things I remember from seeing it in IMAX 3D. One that like anytime something and I don't know if this was because of the the presentation as in like the theater calibration or just mm-hmm the process of converting it anytime you had a scene that took place during the day it was the sky was never blue it was white like it was bleached oh, out interesting um i don't know why i i that's usually a thing that's the opposite of theaters with 3d usually 3d uh, presentations are usually unusually dim because you have to with 3d movies you'd want as bright as possible because people have the glasses which dim this dim the the screen. Yes. Um, it was weird. Anything that involved daylight, the sky was never blue. It was bleached out. And my second thing was there was a group of Asian teenagers or maybe college students, and all they did was laugh throughout the entire film. <laughs> okay. And that and that drove me nuts because like I'm spending twenty dollars to see this movie, and all they did was laugh at everything. And I'm like, why spend twenty dollars just to laugh at a movie that you can laugh at home? Yeah, especially Titanic. <laughs> well, again, like I said, Titanic's in a weird place now in the culture. It's it really is. Like it, it's it's probably the last like big bud like a high grossing movie that everybody can agree on that it's objectively good like everything else now has different levels of just like there's contempt toward it like yeah. obviously there's like or just there's, it's weird it's, it's every every other big but or high grossing movie is very polarizing everybody hates avatar everybody loves avengers endgame uh polarizing i mean like kind of like in one direction or the other sure, sure. um that's what i mean by that maybe use that term as correctly as i uh, intended it to um but yeah that's i the imax 3d was fine like I, I, I wouldn't. It's funny if Titanic was released again in theaters, like with this all like COVID nonsense. I would not seek it out. Mm-hmm. Um, like watching it again for this recording, I think considering I've watched T- Titanic in so many different incarnations <laughs> now over the years, I, I don't think it's one of those films. Again, I don't think there's really any film that you have to see on the big screen. Um, I don't think it hurts. I, it's one of those things where if you could watch it exclusively like in IMAX, I don't think it would hurt. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, though, if you can. It's kind of like only if it's available. Okay, okay. I got if you, you want to, if you want to, great. But I don't think it's a necessity. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I would agree for that for the most part. I think it's more of I always look back and say, oh, that would after I see it, it's like, oh, that would be cool to have seen on the big screen. But it's never full movies for me. It's always scenes and things like that. Like I said, I would love to see the underwater shots of the you know decrepit Titanic and the marine life around it in the big screen. But I would probably like have a seizure. In the part where, like, uh, Leo and Kate Winslet are underwater and trying to get through the gate, and there's just a strobe light going constantly. Like, 
Like I had to like turn a light on in my room because that was bothering me so much. But uh-huh. while we're on the topic of 3D, I do have to ask: When First Officer Murdoch shoots himself and falls off the boat, oh, did that come Christ. at you at 3D? <laughs> oh my god! Too soon, too soon. <laughs> no, okay. So that's interesting. The 3D. You're right, Jimmy C. Of course, it was bound to happen. Um, fingers crossed we'll get true lies in 3D for that end sequence of the guy <laughs> on the missile just like coming You're right fired. at us. <laughs> You're fired. Tom Arnold in 3D. She took the ice trays. <laughs> kind of sick bitch does that? <laughs> okay, okay. So, so yes, you've seen this movie way too many times. I know when we talked about this the other day uh, off recording, you said that it's like every scene of this movie is ingrained – into your oh, yeah. memory, absolutely. <laughs> so I, I guess um, is this Rob? Just... I think I think it's better off to let you kind of dictate where this where this goes because, like, I am just going to be like you. Okay, you said I think it's loud and clear my opinion or your opinion <laughs> of it. I'm sorry, my opinion, whatever you want. This is um, the the point being is okay. I think you should kind of direct this because I should again tell the audience is that I. This is, is, in my opinion, I admit this is 100% subjective, as perfect of a film as you're ever going to get. I honestly don't think there's a better film ever made than this. Mm. I think this film, like, don't be wrong, there are, it's, it's Jim, Jimmy C. ham fisted, clunky dialogue. Like, of yes. course, the Pablo P- Picasso dialogue is like, oh God. God, not those finger paintings again. They certainly were a waste of money. The difference between Cal's taste in art and mine is that I have some. They're fascinating. Like being inside a dream or something. There's truth, but no logic. What's the artist's name? Something Picasso. (laughs) Something Picasso? He won't amount to a thing. He won't, trust me. My note for that line is, fuck you, movie. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, but like, it's Jimmy C. stroking the audience. Yes. Like, everything in this movie is intentional. Nothing is overlooked. There's no cutting any corners. I think and I think that's what matters. There is everything is intentionally done. You might not like it, and not you as in Rob, but you as the catch-all. Sure. But everything in this film is meticulously crafted. And I just don't think that exists anymore. There is nothing overlooked in this movie. I I would have to agree. Like I said, I I enjoyed this more than I expected I was going to, which I was very pleasantly surprised by even though I still had to watch it in two instances because I think that's more of the the length than anything. But no, I have to agree that even while there were things that I disliked, it, overall it works. It really works. Like everything is set up, everything, you know, is kind of there. Uh we have this entire picture of the Titanic painted for us. And I guess the way that I was kind of thinking of approaching this is talking about it in two parts. I think the movie is very certainly the first half, I guess kind of, everything before the they hit the iceberg and then everything after they hit the iceberg. And I I actually, well, I guess the framing device as well of the, um, the old story. Um, I, I think you might not want to give me full control over where this discussion goes because I can say that most of my notes are just references to Thumb Tannic. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, like, I loved, you know, actually getting to see, because I've seen, I've seen Thumb Tannic probably as many times as Zach has seen Titanic, so I know that <laughs> one better. And it was really interesting to see the things that they were parroting or the scenes that actually came up. Like, I love when um, 
Ismay is like, you know, he says to what, Victor Garber, I don't want to tell you how to run your ship, but imagine if we got there early. And I'm just like, we must go faster. We must go faster. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess the the big thing that stuck out to me was, for my memory of this movie, it was the back half after they hit the iceberg, because that's where there's the action, the the actual, you know, intensity of everything going on. I was expecting not to like that first half as much as I did, but I it actually really worked for me. I mean, I, I liked some of the, um, just the setup and, you know, the whole thing of Kate Winslet being like, you know, I got on this ship and everybody saw it as a miracle, but I saw it as a slave ship because I'm getting married to Billy Zane against my will. And I have to say, I think one of the things I want to start with, because it's so prevalent in the first half, I love how big of a bitch Kate Winslet's mother's <laughs> character is. Like, I love to hate her. It's kind of like what Jimmy C. lost with Avatar, because what you have the Giovanni Ribisi character, like the shrewd businessman trying to get the unobtainium, and I'm just like, <laughs> I agree with him. Like, kill the fucking blue people. We should be better as, as humans. But here, it works as, like, a bad villain. Like, when she does that DiCaprio line, like, how are the accommodations down in steerage? And I'm like, oh, oh, I hate you so much. And that really stood out to me as her kind of subtle, rich villainy, I guess is the way I would put it. I love that you referenced Giovanni Ribisi's character of, uh, for Unobtainium from Abbott. La- <laughs> that's amazing. It might be the first time that's sit on a podcast in 10 years. Okay, no, like, that's... This movie knocks everything out of the park. It's for like you have so many characters, and yet every character has their moment to shine. Yeah, like even though a bunch of the characters don't have a ton of screen time, every character feels f- like fully fleshed out. Even if they have like a grand total of two, maybe three minutes in the movie. Oh yeah, I I was surprised at the end of the movie when Kathy Bates shows back up. I wasn't like, oh, I forgot she was in this movie. I was like, oh, yeah, she would be doing things like this, trying to get, like, the women of the boat to unite type of thing. Like, it's our men scene. Exactly. And you also have, like, Fabricio. And you have even the closure (laughs) of his death. You have all these kind of just small characters, and they all get kind of – their stories get kind of wrapped up, whether it be, like, First Officer Murdoch. Uh, Captain Smith. Tommy, who I think has two lines of dialogue and two scenes, and it matters when he gets shot. Well, that's what I mean. But, like, these characters are all interwoven with the, like, kind of, like, load-bearing pillars of Jack and Rose. Yeah. So they're all kind of there at the right points. And, it like, their moments throughout the sinking of the ship ultimately pay off, too, with the huge – and I can't – again, like, it's capital huge, H-U-G-E <laughs> – at the very, very end of the film, the final sequence. And you have all that because like that final sequence, which we'll get into later, would not be that huge emotional payoff if you didn't have all these characters kind of like you're introducing these characters with Jack and Rose. And they're they're little, like and they all kind of have their little moments, little kind of where the movie, I don't want to say stops, but we see them, Jack and Rose interact with them and, and the plot continues forward. And I think that's incredible to have this film where you have all these kind of just small moments interwoven interwoven seamlessly with the grander narrative. When you say the the big scene at the end, which are you referring to exactly? Well, the very, very last sequence is we go down to the ship under the – again, I, whether it's – you call it the dream sequence. I don't oh, know what so you even the, call um, it. The V for the, Vendetta every ending where all the dead characters are there greeting her. 
that I, I, you have folks you have no idea how angry that he, what he just said i knew it was gonna do that, to that okay, okay that makes me that infuriates me i right have now. no problem with that i thought you were getting at the um uh rose on the door and jack being dead because that is the worst scene in the movie i hate no, that scene. no 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 rob there is it's no because of kate winslet kate winslet is the I love worst it. that is the worst performance in cinematic history no, no it's not no it's not no it's not it's beautiful i love okay folks my entire idea of romance is founded in this film i want everyone to be aware of that like <laughs> i said as a five-year-old i cried at the end of this movie as a 28 year old Watching this today, cried at the end of the movie. I like everything about this movie is nothing short of incredible. The romance is everything. Like it's, I love it so much. Like when he is like after he kind of confronts her in the gymnasium and she's like, I can't do this. Like because obviously her mother guilts her into it, and then like she's like having tea or lunch, and she sees a little girl kind of being groomed for this life from mm-hmm. such a young age, and we see her kind of just like like this again. Like there's a reason why Kate Winslet got an Oscar nom out of this, and Leo didn't, because she's not, just wa- which is what I disagree with completely. No, no, Kate oh, Winslet God. is literally knocking it out of the ball. Literally eighty percent of her dialogue is either saying the word Jack. Or the word no or stop. <laughs> I don't care because she's able to communicate so much just through act. I just like not saying anything. Yes, I will concede that Jack and Rose is said more times in this movie. I cannot think of another movie in existence where the characters' names are said out loud so many times. That was I think that's what graded on me in that last scene because she's like, Jack, 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 Jack. And I'm like, fucking shut up. Rose. How many times does he say Rose? It doesn't because okay. This is where you might disagree with me, and maybe this is my own rationalization, is that what – like, think about it. The, like, she is supposed to be 17. I don't know how old he's supposed to be in this. Is that okay. – oh, yeah, what yeah. else would two teenagers say to each other all the time other than each other's name? Like, that's what it is. Like, it makes sense to me. It just – it makes sense. It's kind of like my argument about Star Wars Attack of the Clones in that, like – is it horrible dialogue or is it a like sexually repressed 20 year olds version of romance? No, sure. I don't, I don't disagree with you there. And I guess I should say, I definitely want to get it out because I think if I don't say it explicitly, some people might misinterpret what I'm going for. I have said many times on this podcast that I hate romance. The romance works for me. It's how repetitive some of their romance is like the saying of the names, like, most of the first half of the movie in their relationship is Rose going, no, stop, I don't want to do that, and Leo makes her do it anyway, and she's happy about it. I have more of an issue there, and I think the repetitiveness is what gets me. I also just, I think I just don't like Kate Winslet in this role at all. Oh, she's, I, I really, I don't think, I can't think of another movie that she's in that I like. I really can't think of another like, Kate Winslet performance. I don't know I'd be if like, I oh. could tell you any other movie she's in. <laughs> a bunch of stuff like she's she's been around but um like i said this is again she's probably she probably doesn't think this is her best role either but like i think she's every everything in this movie's firing on all cylinders like the romance there's a reason why you had grown men crying in this movie back in the 90s Sure. I, 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 like I said, the romance just worked because I think people are like, oh, it's so basic and simplistic. I'm like, I think that's why it appeals to everybody. There's a reason why this film was the highest grossing film of all time, not just domestically, but internationally, because it's a film that was 
anybody from any culture was able to get it. Like it yes. was able to transcend all those barriers. And I think that's what it is that like, there's so much just physical acting in this as opposed to just reading dialogue. I think that I'm glad you bring that up. Cause that was something that I was thinking of while watching this movie for this recording that I'm pretty, I don't remember what episode it was. It might've been one of the terminators. It might've been Titanic sinking the myths, but you have definitely said on this podcast sometime before that it's like that what you just said that's the reason that Jimmy C is so successful he can make these stories that transcend cultures and everything it works on all those levels and i don't that's the thing i don't disagree with you there like i get i don't reject the fact that this movie should have should i don't say it shouldn't have made this much money you know same with avatar where this was romeo and juliet avatar was dances with wolves that type of thing i get why it's so transcendent through culture and people I think I have more issue just on my own level. Like, as another example, with Kate Winslet being annoying to me, Leo is so childish in so much of the start of this movie. Like, when they get on the ship and him and Fabrizio are looking over the um, the front and watching it cut through the water, and then dolphins show up, Leo can't say anything for three minutes except, Look! Look! Do you see it? You know who does that? Fucking four-year-olds at zoos. If you're a parent and you go to a zoo with your kid, you're gonna, you and the kid will be looking at the same thing, and the kid will go, do you see it, mom? Do you see it? Do you see it? And it's like, I fucking have eyes. And he's so I childish it, I think, to me. I think it's meant to, like, convey that visceral enthusiasm, like the grandeur and splendidness and just... No, I, I get that. I totally understand why it's in this movie, but that is literally why I don't want to deal with little children. Because they, they are like, they don't understand the concept that I have fucking eyes, we're looking at the same thing, and why do you care if I see it or not? I have a personal issue with that. That's what I'm getting at. I have issues with this movie because of my experiences. Oh, my God. But I totally get why this works. Of, of all the things I expected to come up in this conversation, that was not one of them. Explaining as to why Rob has <laughs> – This is why I don't like going to concerts, zoos, aquariums with other people because they're all fucking morons. Like I'd rather experience it myself. <laughs> fair. Fair. I can't argue with that. Uh, I, I don't know where to go from there with that. Oh, well, I, I think on this topic, if we're going to talk about the romance, which is, of course, the like you said, the pillar of this movie. Like I said, I think the romance works. But when the movie gets going and I would say, you know, when we really start to learn about other characters uh, on this ship, whether they be fiction or historical, you know, like Andrews, like Ismay versus I'm, I think Kathy Bates's character Mrs. Brown is fictional. If I no, 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 she was real. Molly okay. Brown, the unsinkable Molly Brown. I tried to read the Wikipedia page for this, and I was like, "There's way too much information." I just want to list an account. I, I am the Wikipedia page. Exactly, Rob. I figured. I'm yeah. the living embodiment of the Wikipedia page on Titanic. But once, once the movie really starts moving, you know, in the first half, and then when the um the they hit the iceberg, I I do have to say that while. I think the romance worked. I really started to care more about all the other characters and what they were doing. And I think I have to say my favorite moment in the movie is so micro and so Jimmy C when Ismay gets on the lifeboat and they oh, do that pulling scene. of focus between him yep. and Murdoch. I'm like, I'm like, that's it. 
I'm like, that's that's two two point whatever billion dollars. Like that's what makes this movie work. <laughs> oh yeah, I know I, that scene. That scene's great. Like that's the thing. Like there's there's so much bombast in this. Yes, but it's the small moments that make people remember it. Oh, it, like, it kind of thing. blows like, me away that it's like. I was more shocked by, like, I was enthralled watching this movie. The micro moments are what made it work. Like, I loved seeing some reaction shots in, like, the fancy dinner scenes at the beginning. Or, you know, the um, the, the, the steerage Irish uh, dance party, whatever it's called. And then the whole second part of the movie, after they hit the iceberg, I'm, like, enthralled because, yeah, I get, you know, they have to walk through a bunch of water to get back to the top of the ship, Jack and Rose. But then we cut away to all these different characters that we've been, like Aster and Guggenheim. And I was just like, that's that's what is the thing that keeps this movie going, like that human attachment to this tragedy. And I think that's the thing, though, is that like in any other movie, it would feel like you're introduced to all these kind of, I, I, I don't even want to say tertiary characters, like it would feel like the movie is slamming on the brakes to be like, oh, here's their moment. Mm-hmm. But they're all interwoven throughout the first half of the movie with Jack and Jack and Rose. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's why when you do cut away, like when the movie does cut away to their moments toward the end where they're completely partitioned away from Jack and Rose, it's seamless. It does not. I think about it, like you have a couple of moments where you have the uh, the mother with the red hair and the two kids, and they've kind of res- she's resigned herself to the fact that they're not going to get off the ship. Yep. And she's reading them the stories. The ship's going down. You have um, the Strausses kind of just like kind of spooning each other as their room is flooded. You have all these small you have all these small moments that are disconnected from the main theme of the main narrative force of the film. Yeah, it works because it's conveying the same message of just kind of the the God, the severe melancholy mm-hmm. of what's happening. And I think that's like, again, no other. I don't think. I don't even think Jimmy C could do that again to this day. <laughs> um, I don't think he could. He's he's, he's too ham fisted now. Yeah. No, I definitely like thinking of Avatar once again. Like, who the hell remembers Sigourney Weaver's character? She's exposition woman, science who, who, lady. Yeah, uh, there's there's again, Avatar's not a movie. It's a demo reel. That that's the problem <laughs> with that movie. Look at it's look at the tech reel. I invented. Yeah. <laughs> No, you are you are absolutely right just with the whole idea of that all the characters seem fleshed out and you know like I said uh Kathy Bates she's so minimal like I feel for Guggenheim I feel for the band I feel for Andrews Ismay like our, maybe not feel for but I'm attached to the Murdoch even who do, who barely comes in until after they hit the iceberg but even the bigger characters like Billy Zane like we get the micro moment when he sees the little girl crying and ignores her because he thinks he has the deal with Murdoch, and then he's like, "Okay, I'm going to steal this child and say I'm all she's got," and I'm like, "That that is perfectly set up by the movie." Well, even like again, he's like he's one of those characters, and he obviously is the most over the top of any of the characters in the film. Yes, um, intentionally so. <laughs> he's meant to be a mustache twirling villain. You will not behave like this again. <laughs> I'd re- oh my god! Like every I guess the thing though is like. It's the idea that when, like, after Jack and Rose, after she saves him from being handcuffed below Dex, and they come back up and he sees her, it's the idea that, like, even though he's a horrible, he is the villain, Mm -hmm. and yet even he has a heart because he's like, okay, I'm willing to accept the fact that Jack is in the picture now. If I'm able to ensure her safety. Yes. And like that's how you make – again, you're taking a mustache twirling villain and you're humanizing him in a way that like 
there's like again, it's almost unfathomable. Like you're, you're humanizing him. It's like, oh my god! Like I, I can't think of another example in a film where you sit there elevate a such a two-dimensional character that way absolutely absolutely and that's what it is like and, and it's like wow like it's those it's those small moments where you just kind of see him and you can see just having and all the actors do this have these maybe except for dicaprio just have these kind of small facial reactions to things mm-hmm. and it's like wow like and, and think about that has to be coaxed out of an actor by the director and again, there's a reason why Jimmy C has the reputation of being overly methodical. Yep. It's because it takes a lot to get that out of an actor. And that's just one instance among many. Like, maybe I, I probably phrase this wrong. Is that, like, a lot of these characters aren't fully rounded. It's that their purpose in the film is there to add to the overall purpose. Like, yes. think about it. Victor Garber's Thomas Andrews does not have a large part in the film, though, but he's there solely to have the moment at the end where you see him having his reflective moment mm-hmm. as I kind of like, the, like he's realizing the follies of his ways. And even though I'm pretty sure history states that Thomas Andrews was not looking longfully at the clock in the cigar room, <laughs> apparently, according, according to history, he was in the... Um, Oh god, engine like he was part he was in the bowels of the ship with the engineers trying to keep the power on. That's oh, okay. that's what it was, yes. The, well that that's where I I think as uh, if you if anybody goes back and listens to our Titanic Sinking the Myths three episodes, that is that was a more factual discussion. I was definitely not thinking because I don't know, you would know better than I would have, of course, from your history with this. I was never really thinking about, you know, what was factual, what was not, you know. I only know from our talk with Ryan that, you know, Ismay did survive and was, like, dragged in the media because he didn't stay with the ship, that type of thing. Sure. But I think that's the thing. But, like, that's another layer this film works on is that it's facts. Except for a couple things here and there, the film is almost entirely factually accurate. Oh, sure, sure. And which is... What I've heard, what you've told me, what I've read, and, and I know known about for a while, which I really appreciate. Two things on that topic. Before we gloss over it, I do want to mention another one of those micro moments that I loved was after Andrews talks to – he's like, good luck, young Rose, and gives her the life jacket where we get the shot of him, like you said, looking longfully at the clock. And I just love that we get the shot of him you know, leaning on the mantle or whatever – and then there's two glasses right at the yep. start of the scene. One glass falls over because the ship is, you know, tilting. And then there's still one glass with like what I imagine is brandy because all they were drinking on the Titanic was fucking brandy apparently. Um, but he like you see his hand start to move and go towards the mantle. And I immediately was like, oh, he's going to take a sip of brandy because he's one of these stuck up white people like Guggenheim who wanted brandy before he died. And he doesn't. He fixes the clock by like a minute. And I was like, that's beautiful. He cares about this ship right till its end. And I was like, that's a fucking movie moment that I want to see more of. I want to understand what a character feels without them saying it directly to the camera. <laughs> exactly. It's it's being communicated without dialogue. And I think that goes for everything. Kind of just like at the very end is Jack and Rose are on the bow of the ship. And you see the other like young blonde girl that's about the same age as Rose. Yep. And she's all by herself. And Rose just kind of looks at her and realizes this, this was me. This could be me right now if it wasn't for Jack. Mm-hmm. And the girl kind of just falls as Rose sees or just kind of like she loses her grip. And it's, and it's these small moments. Like it's just yep. like the characters come and it's just a lot, it's a lot of staring. Um, and it's just, you can, it's, you're communicating deep, profound emotions 
with no dialogue and very little acting. But between the music, the camera positioning, the lighting, everything that's come before, everything that will come after it, it conveys these really – there's so many – there's so much happening at once. It's almost impossible to detect all of it. And I think that's why a lot of just basic people back in the day, not as much now, but over the course of the film's 23-year history – just kind of just miss the forest through the trees in that sense. Yeah. I, I think you're right. The um, the whole the, the ship sinking sequence, that elongated you know whole ordeal, it's an instance of the whole is more than the sum of its parts. Like these micro moments add up to be something far grander when you watch it together. It's great. Ex- exactly. And that's where, again, you can't forsake, because I know that's a big thing with the film too and what Rob's saying is that like the idea like, oh, the first half is like, it's, it's just, it's fluff. Then the second half is when things get ramped up. And it's like, no, you don't get those powerful moments yeah, in the second yeah. half without the first half preceding it. Because that's where you're you're laying the groundwork for all this. You get the grandeur of the ship. That Without that grandeur being set up, the moments where you see the ship kind of like raving in agony, you actually at numerous points, like when you hear the steel and stuff just like breaking – and just like kind of straining, it's as if the ship is crying out. And I'm oh, like, yeah. oh, because the ship is the ship is a. Like, I know that's something really archaic to say in movies where like the setting is its own character, um, but the ship is its own character. It genuinely is. Oh, the sound design for some of the stuff, like I, the one that stood out to me, not that I wasn't hearing it all the time, but when like Billy Zane loses it and he starts shooting at them, wrote uh, Jack and Rose, and they're running, and he's like following them down the grand staircase. When he realizes that he runs out of bullets and he can't follow them any further, there's just like a moment of reflection on his part where he, you know, kind of backs up. And this is before he even has the um, I put the diamond in the coat and put the coat on her line where it's just a shot of him falling backward, throwing the gun away. And you hear the ship groaning. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like, that's what sound design should be. Yeah, that, and that's what it is. Though. Sound design isn't like it's – oh, God. It's not just throw – again, it's the idea you're adding to the film without you being, yep. being aware of it. You, you might not have noticed, but your brain did. Exactly. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Why does Twin Peaks The Return work so well? Because David Lynch did all the sound designing, and if there's a man that knows sound, it's David Lynch. <laughs> but like it's, it's, I'm glad you brought it up though, but like this is one of those things that people don't give Jimmy C. enough credit for is like – with most of his films in modern times, which is two, is that like <laughs> he's the writer, director, and editor. He yep. edits his own films. Like, like that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Like he's doing all this. So he like when he's writing it, he has this all kind of just planned out. And then he directs it and he puts it together seamlessly. And like that's like that's again I, when people say triple threat threat, it's usually in regards to actors when it comes to kind of like singing, acting. And um, dancing, oh God, what's dancing? Yes, thank you. How could is you that forget like, dancing? <laughs> I know, I know. That's like the only Titan- thing that would make me forget dancing is the Titanic. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that's and that's what he is, though. He really is a triple threat in that regard. Absolutely. And and that's where you got to give the guy credit. And you you do get these moments too, where the, everything's kind of like think about all the stuff that happens in the film. Like one of the parts that was the most prof- not profound, but just really noticeable is that like you'll sit there 
where like you'll have a Jack and Rose moment or, or I don't know, Billy Zane or somebody. Mm-hmm. And we'll cut back to the orchestra playing on the deck as the ship sinking. And then like they'll be talking. They'll be like, OK, let's give it one more. Like, let's do one more song. And they'll continue to play. And the camera will just back like will not cut. It will just kind of back out and we'll just trans not even transition. It'll just like swerve to Jack and Rose kind of walking right past them. And think of the amount of just figuring that all out, yep. not just while filming, but during like storyboarding and pre-production that like, okay, I'm going to have this and we're not going to have it. We're not going to have a cut. We're going to have a, a camera movement that transitions into the next plot beat. Yeah. Another, another fantastic little moment when the band is like, you know what they're, they're, they're playing. The quartet is playing something and then like people bump into them and they stop and they go, it's like, no one's listening to us. And they go, nobody listens to us at dinner either. <laughs> and yep. I'm just like, that is fucking fantastic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just, it's, it's those small moments. Yeah. Yeah. Rob, it, just, keep, keep, Rob just keep throwing them at me. You know? I know. We're, well, well we, I do have some other small moments uh, to talk about. But uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about, which you already brought up, is the historical accuracy, which, like I said, I've known about and I appreciate. <sighs> Don't sigh that loud. We're on different channels. I can edit you out now. This movie would have more points from me if they showed stop, the giant stop, spider stop when it, the ship it. broke in. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> So much blasphemy, folks. So much blasphemy. That's all. I mean, that's that's all we need is is the giant spider in this movie, and then I think it's perfect. <laughs> no, but I I think that is something that I was doing a little research into because there were a few things thrown out in this movie that I had known we talked about, you know, on Titanic sinking the myth discussions. Um, but then some of the other ideas, like at the very end, Old Rose says, like, uh, however many people went into the water versus on the lifeboats, and they only recovered six of us from the water. And I was like, is that true? Like, it was it that little amount of people? And it turns out it was, from what I read. Yep. I appreciate that level of historical accuracy. I appreciate some of the numbers and, and reflecting the story, like Guggenheim, the Astors, uh, you know, those types of famous figures that actually were on the Titanic – but I guess this, with historical accuracy, this is better time than any to talk about Jimmy C. caring so much about that that he redid the constellations of the stars, right? Damn straight he did. <laughs> Damn straight he did. He could have messed with any other thing in the film he wanted to because, like, even there, there is some wonk. Like, there's a – again, I don't want to say primitive – but there is some like CGI, like like at the beginning of the film, we have uh, sure. take her to see Mr. Murdoch. Let's stretch her legs. You get like those sweeping shots over the ship, and there's like clearly CGI people walking, and their and their movements are just a little too cardboardy, and just how they walk. And I'm like, okay, like he could have gone and fixed that, but he didn't. He left the film alone, and the amount of restraint that shows, like you're Jimmy C. You have the two high. This is like in like 2010, 11. Yeah. He was working on this. You have the two highest grossing films of all time. You could do anything you want. And you're like, you know what I'm going to change about Titanic? The constellations. Something that nobody <laughs> will notice except for some a hole like Neil deGrasse Tyson. And that's it. I'm like, ah, oh, the restraint. It's so nice. That is, that is nice. Uh, especially because I think it was, a, I think it came up in our Terminator 2. In the um, the aqueduct scene, when like the truck drives off the bridge, there in the original cut of the movie, there's a goof where like the the, the Terminator knocks out the um, windshield, but then it's in a later shot, and Jimmy C went back and fixed that, but didn't fix Miles Dyson holding the door open for the cameraman. I think that's where that came up. 
but but you're <laughs> yeah, right. He has yeah. some weird level of detail. Not it's not perfection because he's only doing it to certain scenes. But but no, I, I agree with you there. Jimmy C is a weird person. But you mentioned Neil deGrasse Tyson. This was something I just when we were talking about it, I just thought of. Did Jimmy C do the research and realize his mistake with the constellations, or did someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson correct I, him and he had to fix it? I I don't know. Okay. Um, I I know there's so I guess I guess like anything like with Titanic there was a document I'm pretty sure he did it for the hundred it was part of the whole like promotion for uh the the 3D re-release eight years ago it was like Titanic the final word with Jimmy C and he he got a bunch of experts and they all kind of sat in a room it's the same um room that Ryan's documentary went it's the shots of certain people like the historians and you see the models of the Titanic of sure. the the one at the bottom of the ocean, the one that's in its, oh God, fabulous form. I mean, it's him with a bunch of people, experts talking, and Jimmy sees at the head of the table because why wouldn't he be? <laughs> and um, he again, he's the throne of, you know what? Again, he's the king of Titanic. He really is. Like, like and I think that's what drives a lot of the historians crazy, but I'll get to that in a moment. Okay. And like, like he, at the end of the documentary, it's a pretty good documentary. There's, like I've said before, there's a lot of crap documentaries about Titanic. It's pretty good. Um, and one of the things at the end, he asked all the historians, he's like, if I could go back and fix stuff from the movie, what would I fix? Oh. And one of them's like, and one of them's like, well, by the time the ship was like pretty much in the water, like I forget what they say. I think they say like 45 minutes into the sinking, like it had a list to the right. Mm-hmm. I don't know my nautical directions. Um, I guess what, what starboard is left, right is port. Port, yes. Starboard and port, yeah. I don't yeah. know which one's which, but I know I think those are the two. Yeah. <laughs> Starboard is left, the bow is back. This, and so there was that list apparently. Like, apparently, when the lifeboats were being lowered on the on the uh, uh, stern part of the ship, they were scraping, and the the crewmen had to use the the oars to push against it in order to be lowered into the water. Okay. And like he made, Jimmy C makes some snide comment about that. He's like, okay, give me thirty million dollars, and I'll fix that right now. <laughs> Uh, again, that cl- sounds like Jimmy C. <laughs> that's a Jimmy C line. Um, there's stuff like that, really small things here and there that nobody would pick up on unless you were his, like a Titanic uh, god. I don't even want to say aficionado. You have to be okay. almost borderline historian. Yeah. But other than that, no, the film gets, I would say, like there's some, again, I would say almost everything correct. Like I, I can't think of a single thing in the movie um, that at the time it was being made was incorrect. Okay, okay. That no, wasn't, that, that's, that's not fair. that's not tied to the Jack and like obviously there was no Jack Dawson and Rose DeWitt Picator. There was nobody like that on the Titanic. But no, everything else is factually correct. And I think that's the thing too. Again, you can't really. There's nothing to really attack this movie on on an objective level. Other than maybe how ham-fisted some of the dialogue is, sure. but I think that's intentional. You can't attack something if it was designed to be there. Um, it's kind of like getting mad that there's the, – the, the, to tie it back to Sinking the Mist, you can't get mad that there's ham on the menu if that's <laughs> what the if, – if that's what the main dish is supposed to be that night. Yeah. I think that's the thing that blows me away is that, you know, I really thought this was going to be a conversation between us where I'm like, Zach, I know you love this movie, but I have these issues with it for an actual movie critique from an actual movie critique perspective. And I don't. It's it's from my just problems with characters and writing and movies and stuff like that, which which is, I think, why I enjoyed it so much, because like I said, I've already pointed out some things I disliked. But overall, like I've also been saying, this works as a film. 
Yeah, fantastically. Uh, 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 so again, I think it is objectively a perfect film. I I think the only place we disagree is that last that scene with Rose and the ship coming to get her and Jack 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 come back come back come back I'm gonna go get this oh, dude's it's... whistle. <laughs> no, it's perfect. No, it's perfect because like that's like that's but like you have that moment because think about it. You're what? This is the problem with Titanic too. Is that you have to sometimes take take yourself out of the culture we live in that it's defined. Um, Titanic, like, uh, peek behind the curtain, folks. We're gonna have a series starting next year where it's about films that should have changed everything. Oh, I thought you were gonna tell everybody we're doing a Titanic series. We're gonna discuss it four more times. <laughs> Don't be surprised, folks. Don't be surprised. Remember, there's always documentaries out there that we could discuss. Oh, God. Don't forget that there's Ghost of the Abyss. Isn't there the fifth movies from the fi- movies from the fifties we talked about? The sinking what? scene. Wasn't there some like black and white? footage of like they built a model at titanic and sank it for a movie from the 50s well yeah there's a night to remember there's well, that. That, that's probably what i'm thinking of we could do that yeah <laughs> well, there's a bunch of titanic stuff out there there's no shortage of titanic titanic media Zach, right now for the audience he's going he's like let me open the spreadsheet let me delete next no. year and put titanic <laughs> copy paste <laughs> no because that's a, okay but this is i'm glad you're bringing this up though because like this is something also too and i don't want to lose track of the original point i was getting at here with titanic in the culture but like the thing is that like you're never going to make a there's never going to be a better movie about the Titanic than this. True. You are true. never going to make a better movie about Titanic as a as a drama scripted film, not a documentary. Um, Ryan Katzenbach already did that. But there's never going to be a better Titanic film than this. Like that is a foregone conclusion. You are. I don't think you can say that about any other topic Mm. the closest thing i can think of is science fiction with 2001 that's the only other closest thing i can say the only other maybe another example would be the boot camp sequence from full metal jacket like the same way like you're never going to make a better army or military boot camp sequence it's not even the whole film it's just the first half that's really the only other two examples. I think to say 2001 is the peak of the science fiction genre might be a bit too much. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe just slightly by again, you look at 2001, that film has aged like a fine wine. There's really that's another film where you might not like it, but objectively speaking, it's perfect um, yeah, for what it's absolutely. trying to do. Um, but I, I think when it comes to the topic of Titanic, you're never going to make a better film than this. You just I would have to agree. Absolutely. The only other, I mean, you, you kind of struck that, that spark in me with Kubrick. I think that, you know, like, I, I don't think we're ever going to get like another weird underground cult movie, like eyes wide shut halfway because they're never going to let that be made in Hollywood again, but also because that movie works so well, Kubrick was good at that stuff. And not to get too far off the rails. Cause I, I do want to, you know, like you said, you don't want to miss the point of that cultural significance, but it's like uh, AI, artificial intelligence. That was a movie Kubrick was working on. And I think that would have been way better and another big stab at the sci-fi genre if he didn't die and Spielberg didn't, you know, fuck it up because I hate that movie. Um, <laughs> yes, that but, is not a good movie. But like like you have you have Kubrick, you have Cameron, and then I think, you know, we don't really have other filmmakers like that in this day and age. Of course, you talk about the original, like Hitchcock, of course, but – I don't think Christopher Nolan has any movies. Like, what are you going to say? It's so it's so specific. You know, like you say, 2001 is the, like, the quintessential sci-fi movie. This is the quintessential romance Titanic movie. Those are very broad genres. What, Christopher Nolan did the best dream movie? 
Like, it's too specific with our filmmakers these days. Well, that, yes. Yes, that is We've true. We've lost that, I think, in Hollywood. Everything needs to be... We've talked about this. This might be the thesis of Cinemodities and, you know, the whole um, Avengers Endgame experiment and thing leading up to it. But we've lost those broad genre films. Everything needs to be – have, like, a very honed-in specific thing. And we don't get these broad things like a romance, Romeo and Juliet on the Titanic, you know, the creation of man in 2001. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think it's also because, like we've said before, uh, maybe this is a good way to circle back to what I was saying. Now, but like, we live in a pot, we live in a culture now where those things aren't appealing to people. Yeah. I, and I think there's no money in it because, like, that was the thing too. Is that like how the culture has changed? People like everything now has to both be as niche as possible and as specific as possible. It's weird. Um, like back in the day, like when like movies would come out, it was like, okay, we can make this movie because. We're going to be the only thing coming out that weekend, and people will be forced to see it. Yes. So you're allowed to kind of have more wiggle room. Now you have to make a movie based on what the market research says. Yeah, yeah. It's not like – again, Hollywood doesn't – and that's another thing too. Like Hollywood doesn't have the luxury anymore of doing whatever it wants because people have so many options now. Like think about it. Someone – well, this isn't probably the most apt example because of what's going on currently in the world, but let's yes. pretend it's a year ago. If somebody is list choosing to listen to this podcast, they are choosing not to watch Game of Thrones. They're choosing not to play the latest video game. They're choosing not to see the latest movie. Mm -hmm. They're choosing not to listen to the latest album release or whatever the hell is going yeah. on. Back in 1997 – it's like when the Titanic came out, what else could you be doing in the culture currently? Exactly. It was when almost like word of mouth had a tunnel to go through where I think word of mouth sure. today is a, a tons of branches, an almost infinite number of branches. Exactly, and that's why it's so hard to talk about people when it comes to entertainment things unless it's one of those super seismic ubiquitous things like Avengers Endgame. Yeah, yeah. Even, even I think – you know, I mentioned Nolan before, but – even Nolan, I mean, he, they tried it with Tenet, where it was like, what's Tenet? It's a unique take on the linearization of time travel. And you go, what? And it's like, that, you know, doesn't, isn't what sticks with people. because Rob, well, nobody, what, Rob nobody tried to explain Tenet. I, I know, because, tried. I, exactly, but I think if, because we've talked about it so much, if you had to describe it, it's like, what if time travel existed, but it was somehow linear? Uh -huh. Like, that's the take on Tenet, but at the same time, once again, I think you, you said it perfectly. Don't think about the state of the world today for this discussion. We're talking about something a little higher than that. That you still have people who are like, no, why would I see that when I can watch what I've already seen a million times and check out The Boys on Amazon? Like, you have those people I that are looking for comfort, I think. I don't think it's – well, okay. Now, okay, I, was, I thought you were saying something different. Um, I, I agree and disagree, and I think it's more just it's – like, it's like Titanic, for example. Titanic is a love story as old as time itself. As Jimmy C. pitched it, Romeo and Juliet points to the, the painting yep. – Ken Marshall's yep. painting of the Titanic – one as many saying on there <laughs> and it's like okay it's it's a story as old as time but it's being repackaged for a new generation yes. like that's the thing is that like it's like a romance is not like a romance a romantic film is not a bad thing it's just how the story is told is that like twilight had the potential to be a romance of, uh, of for all time it just chose to be very kind of corny 
um, to put it mildly, and solely target teenage girls. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Whereas Titanic has a romance that literally anybody who's ever been attracted to anybody can appreciate it. Um, I think that's the – again, Jimmy C. elevates things by making it as – what's the word? Broad as humanly possible. And I think we're in a part of the culture now where it's almost like the inverse of that. We kind of make things super specific mm-hmm. um, in order to entice people on the broadest way level. Yeah, no, no, I, I think you're right. And I think that you, you you bring up saying that distillation is exactly what I was thinking about um, with something like The Boys or I, I don't really want to get too much into the bleeding through of movies and TV because I know Zach and I agree those are very different things. But it's like when I saw the episodes of The Boys that I did, I was like, this is base-level retelling of basic stories, but then every 50 minutes they put spectacle in. And it seems like that's what people want. And maybe that is because that's what kind of Titanic was, the spectacle of this tragedy of the ship sinking with a basic romance story. But it seems like people just want that now with the superhero genre, with the zombie genre, with the crime thriller, as long as there's, you know, black woman becomes Dr. Manhattan and Watchmen, that type of thing. There's other things going on, I think, is what we're both getting at. Well, I, but the thing about Titanic, though, is that, like, Titanic was not a film that the studio was going to make. It was the brain... that. It wasn't like, okay, the studio has a Titanic script laying around they want to make, and Jimmy C. picked it up and ran with it. It was Jimmy C. wanted to make this as his next film and went to 20th Century Fox and was like – and pointed to it and was like, I want this. They looked at the budget and said, yikes. And everyone forgets too, this was a dual production between 20th Century Fox and Paramount, mm-hmm. which doesn't really happen anymore. Oh, like it no, happens like a, no. like, <laughs> like it happens like on a domestic and international level where you'll have one studio release it domestically and have another release it internationally. The only way that's gonna happen today is if two companies come together, one of them is Disney, and Disney says we're gonna buy you. <laughs> it does it does the latest example of it happening that I can remember because I know like with Terminator Dark Fate that was released domestically by Paramount and internationally by Disney, but it was solely funded by Paramount. It was I didn't um, even know that it was distributed by Disney internationally. I didn't know that. No, that's insane. I mean, Terminator say it's correct title. Terminator Zach has Stockholm syndrome, but <laughs> yes, I Terminator. I I thought that was just Paramount. I didn't know that about the international. Yeah, and the last time a deal was made like that on a production level, I want to say was Interstellar because Nolan went to Paramount with Interstellar. And because after every, all the money Warner Brothers made mm-hmm. – I'm sorry. He made Warner Brothers. They're like, we want in. We don't care what cut it is. And they – if I remember correctly, Warner Brothers – like gave the rights to Friday the 13th and South Park to Paramount okay. for a certain amount of time to get international release rights. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Go, that, that was that was a big news back like in 2012. Um, the 2012 idea that, was like, before this podcast started and you hadn't taught me everything I know about movies yet, Zach. <laughs> that's because you weren't around that summer, Rob. That was one of the few summers that – well, that was, that was the first summer Rob wasn't around. Yeah, I think – yeah, 2012 might – been when i was working all my jobs just so i could you, not have to go back to new york <laughs> you were in pennsylvania yes that was yes, that was the first yes. summer yeah uh that no that that was the last time i can think of it it doesn't really happen anymore again the studios are more and more in the game of slitting each other's throats unless they try to buy each other out I, but no getting back to the point where i was saying like when it comes to the culture 
is that like when you're watching Titanic, you like if you're watching it in the modern day, whenever that may be, whether you're listening to this a day, week, month, year, decade from now, sure. is it like you have to watch the movie and it's really hard to do this. Watch Titanic outside of the culture that it's helped like define. Yeah, that, and mold. That might be exactly the issue I had is that well maybe not culture but I I think I was when I rewatched it you know trying to keep it away from I was totally in the mindset of most expensive movie ever made at the time highest grossing movie ever made at the time and I think that's why I was able to appreciate it but also have issues with it on a personal level and I I do agree with you maybe if someone watches this say for the first time today and they're just like this is clunky this is something I've seen before but it is more worth of it has more worth as a film for watching it without that connotation. But that but the thing about this, I don't think anybody walks out of this movie after watching it the first time complaining about the ham fistedness and clunkiness unless they've somehow been influenced by the culture that Titanic has helped define. Oh, okay. I think if you I, walk I mean, into this movie with ton like if you walk into this movie being like like well again, like look let's look at it this way. Titanic is not as impact the Oh God, I don't even know what you want to call it. The aura around it, the context around it, and its release back in the late 90s, I don't think follows it anymore unless you're a hardcore movie person. Yes. Because like if, if you're a 13-year-old watching this movie for the first time, whether it be – I don't know what streaming service it would be on. It, I don't think That's what it's on. Is that what it's on? Yeah, when I was uh, looking for, I was like, where yeah. where could this be streamed? It was Stars, and the, uh, Amazon, Hulu were like, "Do you want to do a seven week trial of Stars?" And I was like, "Fuck you, got it on my hard drive." <laughs> <laughs> um, I think if you're watching this in a relative vacuum, I can't see how anybody watching it for the first time has any problems with it. I think okay. like this would have been one of those movies because pe- people forget too that like when this film was being made, it was being listed as like. Like it was a movie that was going to sink two studios. It was going to be the end of Jimmy C's career. Mm-hmm. Um, like all the trades, like back when they were exclusively paper outlets, like everything was like, okay, like Jimmy C's folly. Like it was like, oh man, like this is going to be the film that like dooms Hollywood. And like it had that, like the film had an aura around it before it even anybody had ever seen it. Yeah, because this is this is coming off of True Lies, right? That was his movie directly before this. Well, yeah, but like the thing too is that like this film also kind of had like like maybe one of the earliest examples of a like troubled production in the okay. sense of like just like and that was more the rumor mill because I don't think again it was Jimmy C doing a shtick. Sure. Well at the same time I think you know I I guess I want to think about this in terms of because I agree with what you're saying of course you're not wrong um when you bring up that that history of it. But at the same time this was after the abyss where he almost like killed everybody that worked on that movie. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. So I think that they knew what they were getting into, but but that's the thing. I think the interesting thing about Jimmy C, like once again, I said I don't really like a lot of his movies, but he's interesting. He has this kind of roller coaster career where it's like certain movies are huge, and then he follows it up with almost killing all of his actors and making a movie like The Abyss that no one really gets into, and then doing, you know, like Aliens or Terminator 2, and then going back with True Lies, which nobody really understands. I think that's why well, I'm so that's... interested in him. But the thing about Jimmy C, though, is that like – and this is one of those times you have to separate the culture from what we're – you have to kind of distill it almost in that like before Titanic, he was a he was a big director. 
Yes. But like he wasn't larger than life. He wasn't Spielberg. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then Titanic comes out. And he's larger than again. Changes the he game. Was the yeah. king of the, he, he was king of the world. He really was. Look at the Oscars. Everybody got mad at him for Hollywood for doing it. Like, I'm the king of the world. He's Does like, everybody I, see those dolphins? Yeah. <laughs> That's my and millions like, of dollars. <laughs> well, go back and watch his clips from him accepting all the awards that night. And a couple times, like by like the third or fourth time he gets on stage, he's like, I don't know about you, but I'm having a real good night. <laughs> and like, and it's great. <laughs> I just had this hat made, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, that's what I mean, though. Like, he got, like, the persona started to influence the culture. And I think that, like, that's where people started to be turned off by this film. That's where the backlash started to come from. Okay. And I think when you watch this film without any of that, which is impossible for anybody that saw this film during its initial hype period – I, I I don't think how you can walk out of this film for the first time with, without any context for it other than just being like, oh, it's a movie that people like mm-hmm. and dislike it on any level. I, like I said, fair, I think it's, 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 you cannot have any objective problems with this film unless you're deliberately trying to scrutinize it. That would be an interesting experiment. I mean, of course, um, uh, for the, the audience, you know, Ben has been here for the last few weeks. He's not here for this discussion. I don't know if Ben has seen Titanic. I just kind of went with the idea that I don't think Ben and I could have handled Zach with his discussion of Titanic. I think that it would have been Zach just screaming at us. Um, But it's like I would love to take someone who can actually think about a movie and if they haven't seen – back when Zach took his hiatus from Cinemodities, I got really lucky that I found LaShawn. LaShawn had never seen Airplane before, and I was like, that's fucking awesome. Like we can actually talk about one of the – things that are credited as a great comedy, and get first opinions on it. I would love to do that for Titanic as well. Um, I can tell you for a fact, I don't think Justin has ever seen Titanic, but Justin is canceled from ever watching a movie again as far as I'm concerned. But, Zach, you're, you're not How's wrong. He is, is, is he hiring a skywriter to write Southland Tales sucks? <laughs> That's where his last $3,000 went was to do a skywriter, absolutely. But no, I, I, I'm with you. I would love to find someone who has never seen this movie who will willingly watch the three-plus hours of this movie and actually think about it. That would be a very interesting experiment. It's not just someone who's never watched it. It has to be someone who's completely removed from any sort of cultural conversation That's about it That's where well. the difficulty so comes into play. Absolutely. It, would have to, it would have to be somebody, I'd say, at the, at the oldest 20. It oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. It would be have someone very much younger than us. Yeah. Not very I don't, much younger. Rob, well, yeah. I, as I said that, I was 20. like, Come man, on, we're Rob. not that old. We're not that old. Absolutely. But no, the, you're, the, you're not wrong. It would have to be someone younger than us. It would have to be someone from a newer generation. I want to go even as far to say that they're growing up. Someone who has grown up on the repetitiveness of franchise movies. And that's this is though. But like this is like Titanic influence. Like, and that's the weird thing too. Like there's almost an argument to be made. And Rob's going to hate me for this, oh. that Titanic could have been put in the films that should have like Titanic changed the game, but like not in the same way that like Iron Man and the Avengers changed the game. I, I think I do agree with you there because think about it. Hollywood like, Titanic comes out. It's a $200 million film on a very specific thing that becomes the highest grossing film of all time. It's three and a quarter hours long, (laughs) and yet Hollywood does not try to do it. Hollywood did not try to emulate it. 
Yes. At all. It, yes. Really, oh. any... And that's why I mean it. Like, think about it. Like, Titanic comes out, you would think there'd be a, a slew of just films of that sort of thing. Like, there should have been a Chernobyl film with, I don't know, um, Whitney Houston singing a love ballad about, like, like you would think, like, <laughs> like, 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 mass disaster, like, something like that. And yet Hollywood was like, nope, we're not... Like, this is such a anomaly. We are not even going to try to emulate it. What was I, the highest grossing movie before this? Was it Jurassic Park from earlier in the nineties? Yeah, that, yeah, Jurassic Park was up up until ninety seven. Yeah. And that is that is not in the same vein as this. That is not a you know every four quadrant type of film. Like yeah, that's very yes, much is. more. I mean, no, it is stupid. Jurassic movie, Park. Zach. No, no, no. Fine. Jurassic Park is a four quadrant film. Titanic is not a four quadrant film, Ooh, and that's what makes its success so. And that's why I call it an anomaly. Well, why? Titanic well, no, I actually want to unpack that. Why I would have went the opposite way that Jurassic Park is not four quadrant. Titanic is. Why do you think otherwise? Jurassic Park. Anybody can appreciate Jurassic Park. It's an adventure film that has awe spectacle. It has not want to say spectacle. spectacle it's a movie that tells women to procreate. Yeah, I know. That's we, what the we, fucking we, we, okay. No, this could be a whole know, other episode. Absolutely. We know what your problems with Jurassic Park are. Say what you want about Jurassic Park, Rob, but it's a classic. You can't, it, you can't argue with its place in the culture. Um, Jurassic Park is a four quadrant film because it's a film that anybody who goes and sees it can appreciate. I can't the argue kid, with its place, but kid, I can, I can dislike its place. <laughs> yes, you can dislike its place all the time. We're gonna push back on that. No, Jurassic Park it has everything has a little bit of something for everybody. It's a reason why Jurassic World clicked. It, well it, don't well then I think about that Titanic. We got the romance, we got the tension, we got the action. Why? Okay, okay Rob, if you say that I if I go around to somebody and tell them I saw Jurassic Park five five times when I was five years old, no one would think that's weird. Nobody would think that's weird in the slightest. If you tell somebody that a five-year-old boy voluntarily saw Titanic in theaters that many times, they would be nothing short of baffled. It's a. Uh, it's been a little while since I've said this, Zach, but uh, you're right, and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's no, that, I mean. that's, that's the way. Yeah, okay. I there's, get, there's I get no... where you're coming from. Exactly. Like Titanic should not have made as much money as it did. And yes, a lot of people say things like, oh, it was because 14 year old girls love Leonardo DiCaprio. And even Jimmy C has said like he's like on the record been like, sure, that played a role in it. I'm not going to argue with that. But like there's a reason why 40 year old men like construction workers were going to see this film and came out in tears because it was able it's able to get people on a, on a level that pretty much very little films can like think about it. if you look in the pantheon of just films that are larger than life and not what goddamn disney's been doing where just because of inflation and the fact that worldwide box office is a bigger role in things now than it's ever been but if you look at the highest grossing films of all i'm sorry the films that have sold the most amount of tickets which is your titanics mm -hmm. your gone with the winds your ETs, your Star Wars is the reason why those films resonate so much is because they all have just basic emotional cores. Yes, yes. I, I Titanic is a love story that anybody can appreciate. ET is a boy and his dog, a, 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 a plot that anybody can appreciate. Star Wars is the hero's journey. Mm hmm. It's stuff that anybody can appreciate. And I think and yet you look at things like Avengers Endgame. And it's like, 
well, what what the hell is that about? Like, there, sure, there, like, like sure. you can explain again. You can explain to, like Titanic, ET, and Star Wars in one sentence. You can't explain Avengers Endgame in one sentence. You have to be like, uh, uh, it's the amalgamation yeah. of ten years of laying groundwork for awe spectacle that will be very hard pressed to be duplicated within this decade. You can't explain it in one sentence without a joke. Absolutely. Exa- exactly. And well, that's the well, thing. Well, I think this brings up something that I'm, I'm glad you got to it because it was something I was thinking. It ties into what we were saying about we feel all these characters in Titanic are fleshed out and they are relatable and we have that human characteristic. It, also in comparison to say something like an E.T. or a – well, uh, I don't want to say E.T. exactly, but a Jurassic Park – that this movie is tied to an actual tragedy. Sure. I, I, I think that's what I wanted to get at is, you know, nobody in the world has ever had to run from a T-Rex. Nobody has ever had to deal with the CDC because they the government found out E.T. was there. I think I, – well, maybe not I think, but I wanted to propose the idea is that does this movie work as well as it does because not only – are people aware that the Titanic was an actual human tragedy, but this movie also reminds them with the framing device and the underwater exploration at the, at the bookends that this did actually happen. I'm going to answer your, okay. Short answer. Yes. and No long answer. Um, I just want I the long th- answer. If you're, if you're, if your short answer is contradictory, just give me the long answer. Well, I don't think the historical context matters to normies. I think what does matter, and this is actually the very opening to Ghost of the Abyss. Okay. Bill Paxton has an introduction for Ghost of the Abyss because he's he's part of that. Yeah, he's like Jimmy C's like best buddy after this movie, right? <laughs> well, in Ghost of the Abyss, he is. I okay. don't know him about real life. Because um, remember, they met during the uh, during Aliens. Um, no, no, they yeah, met during Terminator. Terminator. Yeah, he's the punk. Yeah, Bill, pa- yeah. Bill, Bill Paxton's the only person that's been killed by a Terminator, an alien, and a predator. <laughs> that's awesome. Yes, I'm, I wish I, I wish I could say I'm the now, one who thought of that, but I read now, it on the internet. Now he just needs to be killed by Jacob Tremblay. <laughs> Shane Black has his way. <laughs> we, well, 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 we don't know that, Rob. Bill Paxton's no longer with us. Who knows what, uh, what caused his demise, Rob? Maybe I think he had a stroke oh, or a heart God. attack. I, forget, I know. I, forget I what Bill Paxton died. I nev- that's one of those things I like. I never want to re- think of, but I mean, maybe we should do a Bill Paxton series one day. He directed uh, a movie I really liked. How about that? Um, yeah, yeah no, which get, is a very get, strange get, thing to say about Bill Paxton. Yes, he directed yeah, I a movie I, I, I liked. I, 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 wasn't just, I wasn't expecting it's that. It's the cult. Um, but, it's the religious cult. Oh, God. Why can't I remember the name of it? It's when he like he's, he's like indoctrinating his two young children that he's like basically like Jesus or something. Okay. Have you heard of this? <laughs> no. Not at all. Oh, why can't – I only saw it like once or twice. Why the hell can't I – okay. You keep going. I'm going to I'm gonna think of this, I swear. No, okay. But, but the point of this being was that like to answer your question is that like I don't think the historical context matters. Okay. And this goes back to the thing I was saying about Ghost of the Abyss is that the story of Titanic – and I think this is the reason why the, the story resonates with everybody no matter what age – no matter what age you are Um. Is that it almost plays out like a biblical fable. The idea of all these people on this massive ocean liner on its maiden voyage, you have all the levels of society segmented, clearly segmented. Yes. And it, it you it's very it's a story that's very easily you can put yourself in. That you can, someone can put themselves into. It's almost like a biblical fable in that, like, what would I have done? If I was in the Titanic, 
would I have been the person who got on a lifeboat and pushed somebody else out of the way, knowing that I'm taking somebody else's spot? That's a good way or to would it. I, or would I have been that person that hung on to the very end? It's it's one of those things where it's a, it's the type of story that helps a person comes to terms with the per- who they want to be. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a defining moment. It's a way for a person to define who they are as a person, and. That's why I think it resonates no matter what age you are. It's like – do it's kind of like when you see a building on fire and you'd be like, oh, I would rush in and save people. You really don't know until you feel the heat of those flames. Exactly. And yet the, and yet the Titanic is such a – it's such a specific moment in history that has that such an easily conveyable – I don't want to say plot but story. Um, there's real – I think but there have been larger shipwrecks in the Titanic there have been more grandiose. There have been more tragic. Mm-hmm. Yet, yet we always come back to Titanic because it has the lowest barrier to entry. You can explain yeah. it in three sentences. There's a reason why a five-year-old is able to appreciate the story of it both on the Jimmy C level and the real-life level. Because, folks, when I say I love Titanic, I, and again, like Rob has said too – it's quite obvious it's not just the 1997 film. The sheer amount of Titanic coffee table books and yes. books that my parents bought me back during this time period is insane. There's a reason why I we did how many episodes on t- Titanic yeah. in the Mist. There's a reason why I have a Ghost of the Abyss poster in my room. There's a reason why that when I was, what, six years old? Six? No, five. I had my, – my parents drove to Tampa, Florida to buy me a 3D puzzle model of the Titanic, Ooh. which I haven't – Rob knows. I think Rob has what the – you have what, Rob? You have you have what? One of those like 3D puzzle models, right? Like you have to like put together – I remember those. They don't, they don't make think, them anymore. I think I might have had one back in the day, but I don't remember what it was for. You know what I'm talking yeah, about. No, they, no, don't no, make, they don't yeah, make them yeah. anymore. Um, it's not really a thing that's – well, maybe they do make them. I'm not sure. But like I had that, and I still have it to this day. Like my my father glued it together for me. Like it's kind of falling apart. Like the uh, the back of the ship flag is missing. Like, okay. like you said, it's, it's been through the war. It looks like it sank to the bottom of the, <laughs> the, the North Atlantic. But like it's – I'm looking at it right now, and there's a reason why like this story resonates with people um, beyond the film. And I think that it's it's weird. It's it's and I think in a weird way, the Jimmy C film is almost like a gateway to to the real life Titanic. Um, it's a shame that there's so many idiots out there that see the film and think it's a hist- it's a, uh, a work of fiction. Yeah, yeah, that's a shame. But well, well always, I think you, you, you are bringing up a good point that I don't want to lose um, two things real quick. The movie I was thinking of is called Frailty, directed by Bill Paxton. Also okay. starring Bill Paxton, where he is a father of two young boys, and he kidnaps people and like chains them up, and tells the sons that they are demons, and the sons need to kill them. I really mm. like that movie, so maybe we'll cover that one day. But beside the point, what you're bringing up is something that we had to get to on Cinemodities. Why don't we have the <laughs> same emotional resonant movie for 9/11? That is the next biggest, most po- I would say the next biggest, most popular. Popular, of course. I'm not saying that in, the, in a good way. The most well-known <laughs> human tragedy, I would say, since the Titanic. I mean, people want to talk about World War II. We've done that to death. People maybe talk about the Unabomber, things like that. But 9-11 is the one that sticks culturally. I have, I think I've said to you, Zach, but I really want to dive into it now. Is it because that we have gone so far as humanity, multiple generations, that we don't think 
about the conspiracies behind the Titanic, which is something, you know, we talked about in our Titanic Sake in the Mist, the what boat was there that saw their flares, things like that. I feel like today, if anybody tried to make a really emotionally non-factual 9-11 movie, because of course we have United 93, which is supposed to be very realistic, that type of thing. I feel like if somebody tried to make a movie like that, an established, well-known director or not, the internet would go, this movie's fucking stupid because it says jet fuel melts steel beams. I think that's the difference, that we have not forgotten our infatuation for conspiracies about 9-11, even though it's been 19, 20-plus well, years from Well, okay, well, 19 okay. Plus years. Okay, there there's a lot of reasons why I, I agree with you. The next biggest like loss of like mass loss of life is uh, the World Trade Center. Yeah. Um, but there's multiple reasons why. Um, sure, you're, I don't disagree with you. What your theory is, um, I don't think it's the most prominent reason. And that's just my opinion. Okay. When you, you, um, you but say I, length of time. Oh uh, no no. Uh, or the conspiracy. May, maybe. Well, I think the conspiracy and the length of time match together because if you go to anybody today. Uh, let's take the subset of people, like you said, that do believe or do know, not believe, do know that the Titanic sinking actually happened. Nobody knows that stuff that we talked about with Ryan about the different ships and stuff like that. Well, sure. But I think the difference is, A, is that 9-11 is inherent. Like, and I don't mean this in a conventional sense. It's it's. <sighs> It's it's an act of terrorism, and any act of terrorism has a level of politics behind it. That's a good point. Where the Titanic was it's true an act of God. nature it's, versus it's, man. It's, yeah, it's it's an act of God at the end of the day. It's man's hubris with an act of God. Okay, so real quick, I I, I don't want to cut you off too much, but so what you're saying is you and I need to make a cinematic movie where an iceberg flies into the World Trade Center. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not touching it, folks. That not might folks, have to be cut it. out. <laughs> but but this is but this is <clears throat> this is the masterstroke of Titanic. If you look at <clears throat> every other Titanic media project prior to Jimmy C's film, mm -hmm. anything, whether it be book, movie, TV, sure, the story always ends on the massive loss of life, which is inherently inherently a dour ending sure yet look at and this is this is might be the most brilliant thing anyone's ever done in cinema jimmy c took the story of the titanic and he ended it with maybe the most happy ending to a, one of the most happiest uplifting movie endings of all time oh so yeah it is the completion of rose's arc yeah exactly he gave a happy ending to one of the most dour stories in the history of mankind. Well, I, I guess I'm, I'm glad you say that because I do agree with you. Uh, do you one? Do you feel the same way as what I'm about to say? And two, what are your thoughts on it? That Rose throwing the diamond over the um, bow of the ship at the end, old Rose, is satisfying. Do you agree with that, or do you? Because th I I found I was like good for her. Like fuck these people. Because right before that scene, you have Bill Paxton going, man, I always thought of the Titanic and its sinking as a research project, but now I finally get that it was damaging the people. And well, then sure. she throws away the diamond, and I'm like, that's great. Well, I think that's 
again, th- this movie operates on so many layers. It's almost like, and I think it, that's the shame that so many people just kind of dismiss it for its hand-fistedness at times. Um, it's as if the Billy Zane character is the only thing that the movie that exists in the whole movie. But like, yeah, it, that's the thing is that like the, the plot of the movie or the movie starts off with a bunch of cynical people in a submersible and you even have, I think, what would you call him, Rob? The shaggy guy, Louis Abernathy. Yeah. The shaggy dude who has, who yeah. at one point wears like a faux Watchmen t-shirt. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, I, I, ever since seeing Watchmen, I've always been tickled by that. Yeah. Um, but it's like, you have them being cynical where you have uh, Bill Paxton's Bill Lovett and he has the camera and he's like, these windows crack. It's Sayonara. And like In you two milliseconds, Ab- and then he goes, yeah, enough of your bullshit, boss. <laughs> he, yeah, he's, he's like, you're so full of shit, boss. Yeah. And, and you literally, over the course of the film, have the cynicism sucked out of these characters. Oh, absolutely. That whole opening scene, though, I mean, I guess we haven't, we've literally not talked about the framing device to any great extent, but I love all that stuff when they get the safe out of the Titanic, they bring it up, and it turns out that there's there's just there's no diamond in there. There's papers that they you know starts the story, but there's no diamond. And that same dude we're talking about says to Bill Paxton, the same thing happened to Geraldo, and his career never recovered. And I'm just like, that's great. And then when Rose calls them, and she has the great line, the woman in the picture is me. And then the same dude, the shaggy hair dude, is like. She's a liar. She'd have to be like this old to be on the Titanic. And he goes, 101 next month. And he goes, so she's an old liar. <laughs> she's a very old goddamn liar. She's a goddamn liar. Some nutcase seeking money or publicity. God only knows why. Like that Russian babe, anesthesia. They're inbound. Rose DeWitt Decatur died on the Titanic when she was 17, right? That's right. If she had lived, she'd be over 100 by now. 101 next month. Okay, so she's a very old goddamn liar. You gotta insert that clip. You gotta insert that clip. How The inflection, and, and also it should be noted, that is one take is they traverse the entire length of the Keldish research vessel oh, as they're going up. Beautiful. It is like exactly. And I'm like, oh, God. And like it, it just it's snappy, fast paced dialogue going back and forth. And the whole time they're in motion like like that's that's what movies are supposed to be. Like as much <laughs> as I like love like, like what's the word? Ironically, I can't tell at this point whether I ironically love Tenant or I genuinely love Tenant. <laughs> but that but watching like. <laughs> temporal pincer move is not cinema that is cinema like that is what movies are at the end of the day um like you shouldn't be aware that you're watching a movie um but like yes getting to your point though with with this is that like you have like the like you have that oh god okay rob where are you going with this um what was the overall just just bringing up the idea of the framing device and how that makes it I think more tangible. No, but but getting to the no, but getting to your point before that was more philosophical. Um, with the idea of like why this movie, like like why this movie, like not stands out, but like why this is a historical oh, yeah. tragedy. Why this why this tragedy resonates more than more recent tragedies. Yeah, but like in tying that into what you were saying too, with like the whole idea, like you have like the framing device of you have this like the cynicism being sucked out of it. Yes. yes. And I think, th- and I think that's what it is. Cause like, if you look at where Titanic, the, the shipwreck 
the ship was in the culture by the mid 90s. Ten years earlier, Bob Ballard finds the ship at the bottom of the ocean and Titanic had become this very much. I don't want to say it's weird to say it like this, but like kind of like commodified tragedy. In the sure. sense, like, you had the exhibit touring. I don't know if this exhibit was touring the country yet, but, like, it was very much, like, almost a research text. It was something to be analyzed and studied, and the mm-hmm. human element had been drained from it. And that's what Jimmy C. does throughout this film on top of the many other things that he does, is that he's able to de the shipwreck and that like, oh, and that's what it is. Like, oh, Titanic, like, we have to learn to strip away not strip away, but we can't forget the human element of this. And I think even the very, very beginning of the film, before the Brock Lovett stuff, where we see like the sepia tone, like the ship is going, like leaving the Southampton dock, yeah. and you see all these different relics, like on like on the shipwreck floor. And it's the stuff that like you get so caught up in Titanic as a concept that you lose sight of like when you see a pair of eyeglasses and a pair of boots on the bottom of the ocean floor, that's somebody's grave. The damaged piano is fantastic in that opening scene. Yep. Like the little, the doll, like the doll's head, like the doll's head that's been hollowed out. Like, well, that I don't like little... that. I don't like that. I don't like dolls. I don't like Yeah, that. I know you don't like dolls, but like, but look at it in the sense <laughs> like, yes. that was, that was, a, that was some, that was a child's most beloved item. Mm-hmm. And that's most likely where their last moments of existence were. And I think there's just like this sp- I don't want to say like it is spooky. And I think that's what the film is trying. Like the film is conveying to you very early on, very much like the Lewis Abernathy with the 3d rendering explaining to Rose, the sinking of the Titanic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jimmy C is laying this whole film out. Like he's laying out his themes before it even begins. And yet we're not even consciously aware of it. No, that is a, that is a fantastic point that you bring up the humanity. Maybe, I don't think I was wrong in bringing it up. Maybe I was looking at it from a uh, 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 different perspective than it should be looked at, where things like sunken treasure, which for all intents and purposes the Titanic is, those are very different from rubble that exists on land. There's a different level of how we can access that as humans. It's been for hundreds of years people want to find sunken ships, you know? It's... One of my favorite stories ever that I use when I teach is the Nuestra Senora, where people finally found it after 300 years plus. And that led to so much research being done about, you know, the 1600s and exploration. There's a lot, there's something about the human nature that wants to conquer the unconquerable, the depths of the oceans, the expanses of space to find things. Where 9-11, just because that's our example, is more just, oh, we need to move stone and steel it 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 does land on a different plane than under the ocean or in space which is also makes me think of well maybe why this movie and 2001 came up in our discussion well sure but i think there's also something too about like there's something very the the story of the titanic it's very easy to romanticize like i said almost it's almost it's it's a perfect example of what's the word reality being more profound than fiction sure um, you you couldn't write a better story than what happened to the Titanic in real life, and yet with nine eleven you do not. There's no romanticizing the tit- uh, 9-11. Ooh, there is, a, there that's is a good point. There, that would come there, off wrong, you know. Well, I don't think it's ro- an issue of right or wrong. It's like anything in life. It's how it's done. I guess you can do off. anything. Well, sure, but I mean, you know, the thing that I go to is if we had Jack and Rose in 
the second tower of the World Trade Center, they would be like, we're going to jump off out of the 80th story together. And that would not play well. Well, no, I, I guess. But that's what I mean, though. You could, there, it's like anything in life. You can, anything can be done if you have the idea. Fair. I, I, I mean, I, I guess. Anything's possible. I, I subscribe to the notion that you can make a great story out of anything. It's just you have to figure it out. It's like, again, imagine telling somebody that you're, there's going to be a Titanic movie that's going to be the highest grossing film for a decade plus, and it's going to end with one of the happiest kind of endings of all time. Not happiest, but just one of the most moving endings of all time. Yeah. Com- I, it, I would say completion ending. Yes. It makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, though. It's like, I think anything is possible. It's just ha- being that profound of a mind and an artist to get at it. And I think that's what it is. You take Titanic, which is, again, one of the greatest tragedies in the existence of mankind. Mm-hmm. And yet you sit there, you're able to – Jimmy C, through his own unique sense of storytelling as an artist, is able to give us this story, this specific spin on Titanic that makes it one of the greatest pieces of cinema of all time. And I think – you don't get that with pretty much anything else. And that's the thing. And it's also not simply like, oh, you're telling the story of Titanic and you're distorting the story. It's one, It's probably the most faithful nah. adaptations of the story that will ever be done. That's a really good way to put it, absolutely. It's, because That's I think what I mean. I've been thinking of, you know, because I, I think we're just on this train of thought. I'm just going to stick with it. Writing a script of 9-11, the movie, the romanticized or dramatized version you would need to take inspiration, like we said with Titanic, from that historical accuracy. We would need to watch that Belgian documentary of the dude who saw the only dude who captured the first tower getting hit. That would have to be the basis because that's what's going to make it more humanizing. It can't just be a Remember Me or United 93, that type of thing. It needs to be actually grounded in that historical accuracy with, like you said, that great mind of filmmaking. Please, everybody, continue to sign up for the Patreon. Your $5 will go to Zach and I and Jimmy C. writing the 9-11 movie. (laughs) No, you make a great point with that, that idea, absolutely. And this is what I wanted from you because I can't watch this movie, Titanic. I can't watch tragedy movies of old without thinking of 9-11 because that's one a cinematic's hallmark and that's something i lived through <laughs> which is when you think about tragedy that's what i think about but that's the thing i have to say that's unique about titanic for me it's like it's a film i get, i would imagine outside of maybe star wars it's probably my most watched film of all time yeah and yet i am able to put myself i'm able to isolate myself from everything around it like I, I don't mm. know. I can watch Titanic and put anything else next to it, or just overlay it. But I can also just as easily watch Titanic in a vacuum. Okay. Okay. And I think that's and that's very hard to do, at least with me when it comes to movies, because there's you know me again. We are the connoisseurs of context. It's so easy to see how things sprinkle in. But like I watched Titanic like today, for example. Again, twenty two years after seeing well, almost twenty two years after seeing it for the first time. And I I can put myself in that same sort of just like I'm experiencing this. I don't want to say for the very first time, because obviously five versus twenty eight is quite the <laughs> there's a large difference there. No, you're the same. But like, <laughs> but like it's a thing though, is that the film still resonates with me on almost the same level as it did as a five year old. Yeah. 
And I, I think that's that's very. It's almost again. We've talked about it, like movies that we watched as a child. Yeah, exactly. And then you get older, you're like, oh, that's what I was about to say. Hundred percent. Yeah. And yet the film, I think, again, one of the men, again, this is the ultimate kind of like test for any piece of art is how it endures over time. And I think it's safe to say this film ain't going nowhere. No, absolutely not. I think, like you said, I think you made the great point of you loved it when you were young. You still love it now. I had very little experience with it when I was young. Now I I think I have much more respect for it. I think that's one of those things, just our two opinions of this is making your point exactly with a small sample size of two that this movie isn't going anywhere. I'm always going to think of Titanic. There's so many iconic scenes that we've discussed. There's so many micro moments that work so well. Um, there's so much that can be quoted from this movie. I have a really good friend whose her name is not Rose. That's her middle name. I will forever, when I Snapchat her, I'll go, Rob, you're so Rob. stupid, Rose. Why are you so stupid? Rob, Rob, <laughs> Rob her, first, her first name isn't Rose. Her middle name is, but her first name is DeWhippicator. Her first name is Sam, I should say. No, no, no. no, no. Her first name is DeWhippicator. But all, every single, literally all of every my friends— single, in, the first, in the first time Rob met her, he said, you're going to have to write that one down. DeWhippicator? What did you say? DeWhippicator? What's her name? Because I guess, I guess okay, this is—now that we, this has come up, this is a better time than any, because I know we've talked about it on Knights of Vader before. we talked about it on fucking Cinemodities. Rose gets off the ship, and she goes, What's your name, love? Oh, I'm Ray Skywalker. <laughs> you are not... Because I remember when you brought yep. that up to me, and yep. you were like, the end of the episode nine is fucking the end of the Titanic, and I was like, hmm, I don't really want to admit to Zach that I don't remember the end of Titanic. Watching it for this recording, yep, I was like, oh my is. fucking god, this... They... J.J. Abrams basically spun a roulette wheel and landed on Titanic and was like, that's the last scene. Yeah. I'm shocked. There's a lot of Titanic in Rise of Skywalker. Like, I'm shocked after shocking. watching this movie that if I went back and saw episode nine again, that when Ray goes, I'm Ray, Ray Skywalker, that we don't hear your heart will go on <laughs> like the pan flute come in like it is the same fucking scene zach you were not wrong <laughs> I, I know i know it's like again what's the saying if you're gonna steal steal from the best <laughs> god but no i what's your name love ray skywalker <laughs> Oh god, episode nine. Oh god, episode nine. See, but that's a perfect example of I have no problem with Ray Skywalker is like like a thing. It's the execution of it I have a problem with. Sure. Like it's sure. A, as a concept, no issue. Execution, eh, could be could be a lot better. Um, but no, to get back to the point you brought up with the idea of Rose at the very end throwing the uh, heart of the ocean into the sea. Sure. Um, I. I was never one of those people that I know that like the very cynical thing to say was like, oh, I remember there was even like a, a phone book commercial at one point had her like jumping back in the water and then she walks out of a pawn, sh a pawn shop with it. What? I can still remember that. At yeah, I can remember oh that. Oh my God. Now. I thought you that, were going to bring up the deleted scene. <laughs> no, there was like a, there was like a Yellow Pages like advertisement like for like pawn shop just being able to be like, oh, you can find anything in the Yellow Pages. And it was like, like you see like an old woman from behind throw the, like the necklace into the ocean. And then, like, she jumps back and jumps back into the ocean to get it. And then, like, next thing we see, like, like, a soaking wet woman walking out of a pawn shop, 
like thumbing through like a wad of cash and it's like with the yellow pages you can look up almost any any business is listed in our directory okay and like it was like what i remember <laughs> i remember even like as like a child being like disgusted by it what is the not i, I don't want to cut you off but but on that topic i i do like we said i love the fact that this movie is rose's arc and you know she throws the uh, heart of the ocean the diamond away because you know it, it is the perfect encapsulation that she never did anything with it because she doesn't want to live off of billy zane because selling that would have been her accepting billy zane's money which is what the mother wanted i love that i love the fact that she is literally like i'm back with jack because that's where he left at the side of the titanic and you know i'm giving back you know my last remembrance of billy zane to the grave of the Titanic. I love all that. We get the V for Vendetta ending, ending, like I said. But I can't help but think, what is Bill Paxton's take on this? And I, I, I like that they this got cut out of the movie, but is she saying something like, Bill Paxton, keep fucking looking, you loser? <laughs> like, I, that's the thing. I don't know if Jimmy C is trying to say something about Bill Paxton's character at the end, or if he's disregarding Bill Paxton's character at the end. Because the last scene we get of Bill Paxton is when Susie Amos shows up, because she's mm-hmm. only in, like, two scenes of this movie, and James Cameron is like, I hired you so we could get married eventually. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? I, I couldn't help but think about the framing of this movie being the search for the diamond, and she just tosses it away with no recollection from the other I think, characters i don't think it's i don't think it's anything to do with that i think it's the idea that like and this is kind of where you have to blend a deleted scene you have to, or not blend you have to factor the deleted scene into all this is this is this deleted scene the equivalent of the future from terminator 2 that james cameron saw remember the future with the with the eiffel yeah, tower and james yeah, cameron was say, like it's, wow it's, i overextended there <laughs> um yeah because I, his rationale because I, I i i've seen that deleted scene a couple of times i've seen his commentary or like there's an intro from him before it plays on the dvd or blu-ray um he says that like i realized that by the end of the film people were no longer really like bill like bill lovett's journey and him oh. having a character arc wasn't really pertinent to the audience anymore. you really do forget out of all the characters that aren't in the titanic flashbacks i guess you forget about him the most yeah, well, yes and no, but I think he realized that that wasn't that wasn't the story anymore. And yeah. by having the moment of him being like talking to Susie Amos, being like, "I never let it." He throw like he tells her like, he's smelling the cigar, and he goes, "I've been saving this for the day I find it," and he flings it into the ocean. Great scene and, when he's like, "I never yes. understood the Titanic until now." Great scene. Well, yeah. And that's where it should end. So Jimmy C's not wrong deleting that scene. No, and I think he realized that that scene does all the it, – it's more potent. Yeah. And it does – again, it's an, it's an example of less is more. Um, but going back to your thing about the, her throwing the diamond, I think it ties back to the thing of – it's the idea that like we're, we're – not that we're kind of letting it go, but it's kind of like this is – this is – again, it was her last thing hanging on to Titanic. It was it was again, it was her last portion of herself hanging on to everything that happened then. And she's finally letting it all go, because I think, like she says, the beginning Titanic was a slave ship. It was it was the tragedy that she went through and it was her ties to Billy Zane. It makes sense for her to throw it away. I, I don't think it's a tragedy. No, I think it's the idea that like it was it's again, my heart will go on. It's the idea that, like, she's finally just – she's letting go of everything. It's kind of like I've been hanging on to this memory, and she says it right right before then. 
I this is where I think I'm disagreeing with what you're saying about the ending. She is throwing away the heart of the ocean because it is her last tie to the Titanic and the tragedy of the Titanic and her and Billy Zane. I I hate when I read about this movie today and people are like, this woman had a full life, like Rose had a full life, married somebody, had kids, but she thinks all the time about a random dude she fucked for three days. And women think this is a good romance. And I'm like, no, the point is the woman got her freedom. Like the whole mm-hmm. setup of the movie yep. is yep. that she was being controlled in, you know, early 1900s. We get the great scene with Kathy Bates where she's like, Billy Zane, you're going to cut her meat for her too? And I think that people who think that the romance of this is, oh, we fucked in a car one day are completely misguided. Like, <laughs> Oh, definitely. Like, I yeah, agree. The, the arc of this movie is Rose. And even though I hate Kate Winslet and a lot of it, that still works as the arc of the movie. Oh, definitely. And I, oh, no, I, I think it's the idea that, like, because she says when she's at the very, very end of the story, she's telling, again, Brock Lovett and Susie Amos, um, she goes through the whole thing. And I think it's like she's like I've never told anybody this before. Yes. Like I've been I the heart of the ocean at that I moment, didn't even tell opinion, your grandfather about Jack, she says to Susie Amos. Yeah. yeah. And I think the her thing of throwing the the stone into the ocean is that she's finally she's finally she let she let it go. Is that my heart will go on that like yes, I lived a full life because of Jack, but he will always be the foundation to that life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think the little minute detail we are disagreeing on is that when she lets go of the heart of the ocean, it's finally disregarding Billy Zane and the Titanic and fully holding on to Jack. Because Jack was not the Titanic. Billy Zane and the tragedy was the Titanic. Oh, uh, I can get on board with that. Okay. I, okay. I, 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 I'm not sure if I 100% agree with it, though, but I, I'm like 95% there. Okay. I know, so you have a little bit, you want to, uh, I guess this is going to become fucking 18,000 episodes. Every month we're going to get a Titanic episode where we continue this discussion. Quick question for you though, Zach, because we talked about the motif that the people who I've heard about, you know, meme sites, which aren't real people, they're degenerates. Um, they say it's like, oh, she fucked some young dude in a car and that's the love of her life. There's way more to the movie than this. Is the implication of this movie... That they are one of the first people ever to fuck in a car? Because cars only existed for, like, two years before the Titanic existed. What are your thoughts on sex and cars, Zach? I, I, I find this entire question offensive, and I'm not going to answer it. Cars uh, were made for Rob, driving? Please, Who's going to have sex stop. on a horse? Please, Rob, please You're going to have sex in stop. a car? Rob, stop. Please. <laughs> stop. Stop rooting. No. I am not going to let you do this to Titanic. No. No, not at all. I'm just thinking of the Goosebumps episode where I made the Thomas the Tank Engine joke because they're running train on Carly Beth. And Zach was like, I understand the joke you're making, but I disrespect (laughs) everything about it. (laughs) That's that's essentially it. That is – you you are not Well, Well, I guess I did want to touch – there's not a lot. The car sex scene I got no problem with. I I think my only thing I have to mention about that is when – you know, we after we get the famous shot of the hand on the door, sorry, the thumb face on the door that squeaks away. Um, they're, they're together. Jack and Rose are embracing each other, and Rose says, you're trembling. The only thing I could, I could think of is Leonardo's line should, been, should have been, because I just came and I need a Gatorade, bitch. <laughs> I took the sex scene very juvenile in this movie because it's shot oh, like it's, Jimmy oh C., God. 
over-the-top romance BS. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. This romance, like, I was, like, I, at one point, when he's drawing her and she looks at him, you can see the exact moment she falls in love with him. And I'm like, I love it. I want it so badly. I'm like, I'm like, Jimmy, see, like the same way that like girls are mad. They're like, Oh, Disney movies, like kind of defined how I like want, like love in my life. I look at this movie. I'm like, God damn it. I'm like, I want Jack. I'm like, <laughs> I am Rose and I want my Jack. I, I don't know if it came for me in the actual sex scene and the drawing scene. I think it came for me at the, inception of that when she says I want you to draw me like one of your French girls which is the famous line but I think the part of that line that people forget is she says I want you to draw me like one of your French girls wearing this pause only this that's nice what is it a sapphire a diamond a very rare diamond Jack I want you to draw me like one of your French girls wearing this wearing only this and it's like that is that is flirtatious to the max (laughs) indeed that's where i like that once again like i said i zach knows i usually hate fucking romance like if anything i want people to be separate as far as possible but this romance works and that line works fantastically i love it i love it so goddamn much she's naked and she's not wearing any clothes too (laughs) (laughs) all right rob i think this is a nice way to uh break up the conversation yeah uh okay so this has apparently become we just hit two hours one minute of recording um this is going to be the break in the conversation for the break in this discussion i'm going to put in the entire 33 minutes of thumb tannic uh Um, I guess any, I guess to break this off, any final thoughts? I think the one thing I want to say, just one sentence, uh, women and machinery do not mix. What about you, Zach? I don't know, Rob. I was kind of like leaning over the edge, looking at the propeller blades and, uh, you, you're not, no, God. We the didn't even talk spins... about, oh my God. When Leo says to her, you seem like kind of an indoor girl. I oh, was I like, like the it. indoor I... Raptor. <laughs> Rob, on next week's episode, oh God, Rob, there's so much to talk about. This this is gonna break the uh, the shining. I'm just letting you know this. There's so much to goddamn discuss, <laughs> folks. This is the first time I've ever drank vodka before. You got I, a two-hour Titanic discussion. It's gonna be great. I also have to say that because um, I I didn't mention earlier, I took like notes only on the first half when the iceberg hit. I just watched it because I wanted to get into those micro moments. We've gotten through maybe. 40% of my notes on the first half. Damn straight. Damn this is, straight. I, Zach, you fucking... Vember. Nicole Titanic and Zach, Vember. you fucking broke Titanic's me. Vember. Titanic's Vember. Titanic's giving. Tune in next Titanic week. Titanic Fort Decade. The Fort Decade is upon us. The Fort Decade. The Fort Eternity. Damn straight, son. Oh, my it's God. Happening. Oh my it's happening, God. folks. Lice All check. Right. Looks okay. like you're going to get your headlines, Mr. Ismay. And how'd that uh, trip to the eye doctor go? Horrible. Doctor says I'm legally blind in the left eye, totally blind in the right. Whoa. At least you got that left. Oh, yeah. <laughs> me, 2020. Nothing gets by me. Nothing gets by you. What is What is that? I, that's definitely something. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's white. I know I've seen it before. Pull out the manual. I think uh, it's chapter 14. Okay. White, 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 uh, white. 
<gasps> Shift change. See, See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Right. What's that there? They sure left in a hurry. Ah! Iceberg! Straight to head landing! All right, folks. A quick catch-up. We crashed into the iceberg. Cinemodis. We had the, a top engineer at Cinemodis, the Ben Deucer, come out. He looked it over. He says that we we have merely hours, more likely minutes. And he told, and basically Rob told him that I have the headlines I've been wanting this whole time. That is pretty close to, I think, how I wanted to start this as well. I was going to say something like Zach and I were chugging along through the ocean with a great conversation about Titanic and then he gets a phone call that is basically our fucking iceberg that shut us down uh, after two hours of discussion. So I think people will hear this as one big discussion, but uh, mm. I will put some bleep or I think like I say in the first part of this that I'm going to put all 33 minutes of Thumbtanic as the <laughs> as the separator. As the um, interlude? As the interlude. <laughs> but we are here to finish Titanic. So I guess I have to throw it over to you, Zach. Um, wh- what did we get wrong the first two hours? <laughs> oh, we, we didn't get anything Rob, wrong, Rob. We basically okay, have to add okay. more to it. We have to shovel more coal onto it. That's what we're doing right now. We are feeding the boilers of the Titanic discussion. So are we doing like the Thumbtanic style where all the boiler men are doing disco dancing and shoveling yes. it in? Okay, okay. I like yes, that. Yes, exactly. Like that. <laughs> instead, I think we should. Cre- I think there should be a – like when we have our Titanic fort decade, instead of Titanic sinking the mist, it should be Titanic sinking the podcast. Oh, okay. That's what we're going to call it. If if any episode would sink the podcast, it would be this one because we're doing it in two parts and it's going to seem ridiculous. <laughs> yes. A two-part episode in one part, in one long. Well, um, I, I think that, you know, uh, where Zach and I left off, we were doing a – or I was giving a bunch of those micro moments in that second half after they hit the iceberg. And um, once again, I just want to reiterate, maybe this will get edited out, maybe it won't, uh, hot take – this movie's pretty good. I still think it's pretty good. Nothing's changed in the week since we've discussed it. But one of the scenes that we did not get to talk about in our first part of this discussion uh, is one I wanted to bring up because it is one I really, really dislike. Mm. The axe at the handcuff scene. Oh. Where Jack is like, take some practice swings. And then when she actually has to chop off the handcuffs, she closes her fucking eyes. Stupid, stupid scene. I could it's, go without that. I love hundred days out of the year. It's schmaltzy. <laughs> I I love I love the setup for that because like, oh god, but this is this is like the cinematic equivalent of the Pablo Picasso will amount to nothing. This is like, so weird. We have there's no intro. We're just talking about the movie again. This is so strange. But continue. All right. Okay, Cinemodis. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna trip over my late night movies with movies. Titanic and Zach. <laughs> Yes, Titanic and Zach. We're interviewing the ship from two and a half miles down below the North Atlantic. Um, no, I just had to say that. It's so it's so strange because we've been talking for like an hour 15. Now we're just literally getting into yes. recording. It's very strange. Yes. But, uh, uh, handcuff scene. Stupid. Love I it. really hate love it. Love it so much. I love how, I love how just it's – I don't want to 
want to say it's melodrama, but like it's campy melodrama. Like you, ha- I, I love how like she's about to go swinging. He tells her like, "Go do take a couple of practice shots. Like try to hit the same spot every single time." And she misses clearly. Like she hits in the middle of the first, and she's like wide left, wide right. Well, yeah, like, okay, because Kate Winslet practice. in this movie is an idiot. We've established that. <laughs> Did you know she was only like nineteen when they filmed this? Really. Yeah, like okay. Oh, wow. Since in the uh, the lapse of five minutes since you last heard us talking about this movie, <laughs> um, I went and watched like the two and a half hour long like behind the scenes docu like retrospective documentary they did for the Blu Ray release eight years ago, and like I never knew she was that young. And they're like, oh, okay. they have like the entire movie of this magnitude on the weight like on the shoulders of one actress that's a teenager. Like, I know you, you call Kate Winslet and, like, Leonardo DiCaprio in this dumb numerous times, but, like... You're so stupid, Rose. Old. Why are you so stupid, Rose? <laughs> You're so stupid. Why'd you do that, huh? You're so stupid, Rose. Why did you do that? Why? She was born in 1975, uh, October 1975. Nowhere near Ben Affleck's birthday, unfortunately. So, yeah, when they're filming this, because... It's it's what I mean. Jimmy C is notorious for his long filming. This, apparently, apparently, this had a production, not principal photography, but from like the moment they started to the moment it was released, was about three years. Oh, th- that would make sense. Between nineteen ninety four and nineteen ninety five, she would be nineteen or twenty. Absolutely, perfect. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so like no, it's like that's the thing. Like you got to give her credit, man. Like say what you. There's a reason why she gets nominated for a best actress nomination and he doesn't. Like he's good. But man, she does a lot of just like, there's a lot of times of just like, like, I understand like where you're coming from, but like a lot of times she's just sitting there like kind of not doing anything and just between her body posture and just how, how she has her kind of like facial muscles. Like when it comes to just how her eyes are just kind of like certain ways, there's a lot of subtle acting in this that she doesn't get credit for. Like even uh, like one of my favorite. Yeah, even I, one of my I can fa- see what you're my- saying. I didn't pick up on it though. I think that's been our my conceit of this for sure. Well, yeah, because Zach has been staring at this movie for freaking ever. And like, like <laughs> to make a weird Jimmy C pun, you stare long enough into the abyss, the abyss stares into you. You stare so like, long at black, you think it's blue. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But like even like right before that moment with the axe, where, like she's running through the corridors trying to find someone to help him and like the guy like i, I don't know what you can call him like a male steward and he's sitting there and he's like miss come with me she's like no there's a man here who's trapped who needs your help don't come with me don't worry and she's like she's like listen to me god damn it and like and you, there's like this almost raspiness to her voice and it crescendos until she eventually she's like listen to me and she like clocks him in the face and he gets like a bloody nose and like how she like like she gets like thrown back and this is the way she's like breathe like kind of like i don't want to say heaving it's not heaving but like this heavy breathing and just the way her kind of like chest goes up and down like you can tell that like she's like like she's giving it your all because like there's just like this again it's it's acting but it's so subtle she's not saying anything it's just like the physicalness of the performance and i don't think that that sort of thing gets any credit in this to me like i've seen, like the best actor and actress uh, winners for that year were helen hunt and jack nicholson for as good as it gets I oh. get why Jack Nicholson got it because any sort of performance like that back in the 90s, it, it's the Eddie Redmayne theory of everything. I know that's one of Rob's favorite stories is the <laughs> just like shoe in Oscar, like just like, oh, we're going to give a performance where someone has some sort of mental disability. Here's your Oscar on a silver platter. Yeah. As um, good as it gets was a – was that Nancy Myers? I Maybe. I think so. Okay. Maybe. As good as it gets though, that was the movie where it was like – you know, Jack Nicholson is like 
w- old people have sex. That's the point of that movie. If I remember I those, correctly, that's something's got to give. Oh, okay. I might be confusing. Those both might be Nancy Myers movies that I'm confusing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure one of them is. Um, I'm not the biggest Nancy Myers fan. Okay, um, okay, but no, no, but like, like yeah. I've seen as good as it gets. And like Jack Nicholson, I get giving him the award, but Helen Hunt is not better than Kate Winslet in this movie. She's not. Like she's just, she's just like the big thing with Helen Hunt in that movie is that she's reacting to Jack Nicholson's. Oh god, standard over the top performance. Okay. Um, in the sense like she's not dwarfed by him. Like she's able to hold her own, but she does not have the weight of this movie on her shoulders. Jack Nicholson does. Gotcha. Whereas gotcha. Kate Winslet is basically booing the entire performance of uh, the entire film in tandem with Gloria Stewart. Like everybody forgets that when like Titanic only lost two awards that night, and it was for best actress. In best supporting actress because Gloria Stewart got the nomination. Oh, and like, and think about that you have both of those performances, and you thoroughly believe by the moment you see Kate Winslet walk off, or I'm sorry, walk out of the uh, little, I don't even want to call it buggy, mm-hmm. like, there's no doubt in your mind that, like, oh, Gloria Stewart is the extension of Kate Winslet by the end of the film. Gotcha. And yet you look at that and you're like, it's it's a tandem performance. And I have no idea. I don't know who won Best Supporting Actress that year. It doesn't really matter. But I don't see how you don't give it to both of them. I just I, I guess it was the idea that, like Titanic was gonna sweep everything every like anyway. And there are some campy moments in this. Like I think I had this thought earlier today. I was using I forget what we were talking about. Um, it, it was another previous Cinematis recording, probably something in regards to uh, Monstober. But it was like <laughs> I was talking. I was using the word schlock a lot, and I'm like, well, it's not really schlock, and I couldn't figure out what the right word to use is. And it mm. was camp. The right word I wanted to use was camp, okay. because the difference between camp and schlock is that schlock is bad. Camp can be done good. And that's kind of like the dichotomy of it. Schlock is usually like I'm trying to think of a schlocky before like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. That is schlock for the most part. Yes. Um, Evil Dead 2 is camp. Oh, in that's sense, a it, really good comparison in that vein. Absolutely. I, and that's I, I, like I think of, you know, uh, Freddy's Revenge, which we talked about. You can get all our thoughts in. But compare that to the scene in Evil Dead 2 where Bruce Campbell is bobbing up and down with the, you know, moose head in the cabin and that yep. type of thing. Absolutely. It's, it's, in, it's unintentional versus intentional comedy. <laughs> it's what it is. It's ca- that is yeah, versus, yeah. I'm just laughing just, okay. at the fact of Bruce Campbell with the shotgun going up and down while all the things are moving with yeah. him. That's a great yes. scene. <laughs> but like that, and I, and it's not even, and when you have camp versus schlock, it's not always comedy. Like I yeah, said, camp, yeah. camp is having Jack tell Rose hit the same spot three times she misses. And then when it hits at, at the right, the exact moment when she closes her eyes, that's melodramatic camp. That's just what it is. Because you know she's not going to chop his hand off. Yep. You know that it's the sinking that's going to do them in. Not do them in because you don't know whether – you obviously you know she survives. His fate is ambiguous at that point. Um, but that's what it is though. It's camp. It's the same thing of having Billy Zane be a mustache twirling villain. Yeah. It's camp, but it's camp that's dialed to the precise degree that's needed. It's never over the top. It never goes above or below where it has to be. And that's I, – I think a lot of people who disregarded this movie back in its original run and maybe to this day do. Like it's weird. Titanic for the most part is accepted as is. Nobody really craps on it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody's a fan of it though, but most people who don't like it just kind of leave it at that. It's like I don't like it and they move on. Um, they don't really 
what's the word, roast it as much as they did back during its heyday. But I think a lot of the parts that people attacked 20 years ago, they attacked the parts that were intentional camp or melodrama as schlock. I, I think that's actually a really good way to put it, you know, to bring it back to my favorite thing ever, Thumbtanic. Thumbtanic okay. parodies the schlock, not the camp. I think there's a reason that there's no, you know, uh, str- using the axe to break the, the handcuffs in Thumbtanic, but we get the scene that's parodied very greatly at the end when, you know, Rose and Jack are going into the water, hanging on to the bow of the ship, where, you know, in, in the movie, he's like, when we hit the water, take a breath, you know, this is how we're going to survive. But in Thumbtanic, we have our Steve Odekirk character going, when we hit the water, don't breathe the water. <laughs> breathe the air, not the water. And I think there's a big idea of, you know, Steve Odekirk knows to parody the things that are more schlock than camp, if that makes sense. I think I'm I'm, sure. I'm agreeing with you in this weird filter of parody. <laughs> yes, yes. Like I said, like I, like that's the thing is that it's it it takes a lot of just discerning what the, the filmmaker is going for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, even you know earlier scenes like um, the Jack saving Rose or talking her off of the ledge from killing herself. That gets parodied in Thumbtanic, but they don't parody the officers thinking Jack was a rapist type of thing. Mm-hmm. They know where to draw the or Steve Odekirk knows where to draw the line because I think the movie knows where to draw the line. I don't think anybody watches Titanic and goes, wow, like Leonardo DiCaprio was a suspected rapist. That's <laughs> such a minute detail of the movie that gets glossed over so quickly that it's not worth spending time on, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. And I, even while I was wa- re-watching this for this recording, it was like, that, that's an interesting aspect of the movie that's never highlighted. That, yeah, like, yeah. That is a, it's, it's not a plot beat, but it's, well, what's less than a plot beat? Um, it's another. It's I think moment. it's another micro moment that I think we have been saying in this entire, you know, two-part discussion, Jimmy C is good. He knows where to make the audience focus. And the focus is not on, you know, those officers thinking this dude is a rapist, the focus is more on the end of that scene with Rose going, no, no, he saved me, and then Lovejoy saying, well, you had time to take your boots off, and it establishes that animosity. Well, sure, and plus, it's also the, it's it's weird, like, how Jimmy C kind of lost a lot of, like, again, I'd love to know what happened to him between Titanic and Avatar, other than his ego being even more inflated, <laughs> is that, like, and like you don't have... Technology. <laughs> and, and 3D technology. Um, it's no, it's the idea that like think about it. When you have that moment in Titanic, and she like like he pulls her down, she screams. I'm sorry, he tries to pull her off, she slips, screams. He pulls her over, and when the uh, the crewmen find find them in that state, like she has her like skirt pulled up to her knee, or dress pulled up to her knee, yep. and they see him there, and they're like, and, you, and it's the camera doing all the conveying to you, and they have the crewmen say, "You get back." And that's it. And you have uh, Billy Zane be like, who say you can lay your hands on my fiance? Yeah, yeah. And that's it. Like nobody is using the R word. 
it, because a, yes. I would imagine most people didn't even know what that word meant back in the day. It, it's not, it's not a, a terminology. It's not terminology that's not thrown around so casually. As I it think, is in the uh, I think century. we're two, one and a half to two years off of Law and Order's VU at this time. <laughs> uh, so yes, nobody understands what sexual assault is yet. So perfect. yes, <laughs> but that's what I mean, though. It's about like, but if, like, I would have an idea that if you were making a period pay, like, oh god, what's that TV show? The uh, Rob, did you ever watch The Alienist with? Uh, not not Dracula, uh, Baron Zemo in Dakota Fanning. Oh God, what's her name? Oh my God, uh, um, Luke are you Brock, about the not Sopranos, Luke real quick. No. Oh my God, <laughs> Daniel Bruhl. No, Daniel I Brule I don't know what it. the Alienist is. I mean, I yeah, know who Daniel. Uh, uh, when oh, you God. say Baron Zemo, you mean Frederick Zoller from Inglorious Bastards? <laughs> yes, Frederick Zoller. Oh my God, the, Frederick the Zoller. Uh, Birth of the Nation parody. <laughs> That Quentin Tarantino oh, did. <laughs> Actually, that was Eli Roth that made that within the film. Did you know that? No, I don't think I did. Actually, yeah, Eli Roth uh, made the little like I can't make a complete movie, but he filmed all those oh. scenes of the, yeah, the propaganda film with Daniel Bruhl. That's one of my favorite scenes from uh, *Inglorious Bastards* when Frederick Zoller sees him on the screen and he's disappointed by it. Absolutely, my favorite scene from *Inglorious Bastards* is the entire movie. <laughs> uh, hot take. Well, hot one, hot, one hot take. I kind of like Titanic. Second hot take. Uh, Jackie Brown is the best Tarantino film. <laughs> no, that is a okay, that is that is whoa, 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 this is true whoa, detective whoa, whoa. style rewind, stuff. Rewind, I know rewind, it's rewind. been a while since we talked about this. Whoa, whoa. Best or your favorite? I think both. That, one of those is a lie. No, one Jackie is, Brown is, is so perfect. It's good. It's not perfect. It's, it's perfect. Glorious. The only thing that can make Inglorious Bastards better is if he actually got Adam Sandler to be the Bear Jew. That is the <laughs> only thing that could have made that movie even better. If he got Adam Sandler as the Bear Jew, who went for that goddamn stupid funny people movie of Judd Apatow, we could have actually gotten Adam Sandler as the Bear Jew. Second best that- Tarantino film is Inglorious Bastards. Third best is Reservoir Dogs. First best is God. Jackie Brown is a. It's the only movie where he's. A real person as a director, I think. Everything else is this. Quentin weird... Tarantino isn't a real person. So I mean, a, I, mean that, I think that's why I like Jackie Brown so much because it's actually like How he's a rank, real okay, person. Think now. How would I rank Tarantino? Like top? I'm trying to. What are my top three Tarantino? Babe? Okay, we're get we're get, we're doing we're doing a real quick aside on uh, Tarantino rankings because Tar- we've okay, all seen the them all. <laughs> Taren, okay, Glorious Bastards would be number one. Like, duh. Okay, Jackie Brown um, would be number one. Duh. <laughs> I, oh my god, I'm trying to think. Glorious like, Bastards I, I, is number two. Absolutely. I, I part of me wants to say, like, my ranking, I would put Death Proof as second. I love. Oh my so much. god, Zach! I love. I love Death Proof. I, I love the put, long- I would probably put Death Proof as four after Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir is good. No, I'm saying my personal ranking. I'm not saying what's objectively best. Well, like, no, yeah, we're, we're in full fiction. opinionated no, realm no, objectively, here. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> objectively best is Inglorious Bastards, then Pulp Fiction. Oh, God. What would be the worst Tarantino think, in your I, opinion? I actually, Pulp Fiction, I think, is after Death Proof. Like, Pulp Fiction gets way too much love, I think. It's it like Quentin Tarantino. I'm sh- like, we know he broke the mold with nonlinear storytelling. But I think people forget that there is a good chunk of that movie where uh, Bruce Willis and his weird wife are talking about how it's sexy when women have guts. Like, oh, I got beer gut. And it's just like, what the fuck does this have to do with anything, you know? (laughs) 
Rob, what's the what's the least Tarantino for you? Like, what's your least favorite Tarantino film? Oh, uh, ooh, either Django or Hateful Eight. I have to say Django. I like I, Hateful Eight's good. It's just very uh, self gratuitous. I, I think like ha- Hateful Eight is more of a. I, I actually, I'm gonna say Hateful Eight is my least favorite because I love the fact that it's like a stage play because it takes place in such a small environment. But I really hate that Channing Tatum comes out of the floor at the end. I love that. I love that. I love that so much. No, that's the stupidest thing. It's goofy. It is. I agree, but I love it because it's so stupid. It's so god. I I do not like the hateful eight. I mean, I I give props that Tarantino and Samuel Jackson are best friends. It seems, but the whole thing with Samuel Jackson, where it's like. I made him suck my big black cock. I'm I like, love it. nobody love needs it. to hear yes, this. Yes, Stop yes, it, yes, Tarantino. That, that is the peak of the film. I love oh. that. I love it so much. See, this is the difference between Rob and I. Rob, okay, this goes right back to men, women, and children, folks. <laughs> it, it goes back, no, and I'm going to connect this back to Titanic. Wait, I'm going to connect it back. Okay, it goes okay. back to the schlock versus camp. Is that like, I? I it's the idea that like, it, it's teetering, like camp versus schlock. The problem is that I know how to appreciate all of it. Most people, my co-hosts included, do not. <laughs> so when you have Samuel Jackson or Academy Award winner Emma, Emma Thompson saying was, he'd fuck that if he knew where to put the hole or he, if he knew where the hole was. Knew where the hole was, I, yeah. <laughs> I know when something is bad. Like I admit, like Rob and I agree on most things. It's just whether we appreciate it or not. Rob does not appreciate it. Like I agree, men, women, and children is horrible. Euphoria is horrible. Rob hates them because they're horrible. I love them because they're horrible. You're not I, wrong. On, on the spectrum, wrong. I am John, more John Waters. Rob is more <laughs> – okay, who would you be? I'm more John Waters where I can appreciate the trash. Well, Who's somebody I, I thought, who, I who watches the go, trash um, and doesn't like it? Our usual uh, Christopher Nolan versus Vernon Chapman. But um, if you're going John Waters, that I need to reassess No, I'm trying to think. My, who who is a John Wa- – okay, who is somebody that's like John Waters that wa- that like, consumes a lot of trash but does not like it that much? Like who doesn't like it as much? Because the first thing that comes to mind is uh, my actual name. <laughs> <laughs> Rob is the Rob to John Waters. That's you're, how you're not. Rob... You're not wrong. I don't have a good analogy for that because I think we've gotten off the rails of Titanic, which yes. I wasn't expecting. But but um, yes, going back to Titanic, rape the term rape. Yes, is not Jackie used Brown's in the, movie. the best Quentin, Quentin Tarantino <laughs> film. Uh, season two of True Detective is better than season one. Uh, we're we're good. Interstellar is the best film ever made. Interstellar Period. is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. Perfect. Love can transcend time and space. It's undeniable. Uh... Murph. Murph. Michael, Michael Caine doesn't know how to act anymore. He's just being pointed by Christopher <laughs> Nolan. Sure. I think that's the one thing we actually can agree on. <laughs> I love it. Uh, he's great in Tenet. He's like 10 seconds where he's reading off a cue card. Uh, yes. Okay. Thank you. Because that was something I was thinking about. It's like when you look at Tenet, or I should say, you you have to look at Tenet and hear Tenet as two separate things <laughs> because of the audio mixing. But for some reason, Christopher Nolan's like, okay, I'm going to stop my stupid sound editing for Michael Caine. Like, they are best friends. <laughs> yes. He calls him his uh, good luck token. I I have to say I hate Michael Caine in Inception, even though that's my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. I think Michael Caine's scene is the worst, where Leonardo DiCaprio's like, "Hey, you're my father-in-law. I like my children. Do you like my children? I do like your children." Here's Juno. 
and it makes no sense. And it's fucking Michael Caine. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm spoiled because Michael Caine and um, Steve Martin in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is the best performance he's ever going to give. Period. Rob hasn't seen Secondhand Lion. No, no, I have not. I don't even think I know what that is. <laughs> it's it's a Joe, Haley Joe Osment. Robert Duvall and Michael Caine movie. Sora? From 2004. From Kingdom Hearts? Haley Joel yes. Osment? <laughs> yes, Haley Joel Osment from Tusk. Kevin Smith's uh, greatest thing ever. Well, well, that we can agree on. Thankfully. No, I've never, I, I never seen Tusk. You've I never think... seen Tusk? Oh my god, this episode. Okay, this is, I, I clearly ben and I saw Tusk in theaters. <laughs> I know, that's the first time they kissed, folks. They're not going to let that out. That's, oh, <laughs> I, I didn't lay it out. Oh, I'm okay. so sorry. Rob. Okay, tune in next week. <laughs> the, the the Dancing December Plus series is canceled. We're gonna do four weeks of Tusk because I love that movie. What's ben movie doesn't know that... what to think about that movie, and Zach's never seen it. This is perfect. <laughs> What's the other movie that came after Tusk with uh, Johnny Depp's daughter? Canadian Whoppers? No, no, I know what you're talking about. It's the um because the the movie that you're talking about takes place in the same universe as Tusk because in Tusk they go to the convenience store with Kevin Smith's daughter Yoga Hosers Yoga, Yoga Hosers is the name of it where Johnny Depp's daughter and another girl at a convenience store have to fight Nazi hot dogs that's the premise of that movie Yes yes it is I am so upset that we are not because Kevin Smith said I want to make a trilogy all in the same universe the first is Tusk the second is Yoga Hosers and on his podcast he said many times the third one would be called Moose Jaws and it's exactly what you think it is he stole that from pieces that tagline he stole the tagline I don't care about that I want to see Moose Jaws I want to see it because I love Tusk. Yoga Hosers is fucking crazy. I don't really like it or dislike it. I appreciate its craziness. But I want to see a moose in a lake chasing a boat. I want that. I want that, man. (laughs) Weirdest Titanic discussion ever. Um, Okay, back to Titanic. Um, what the hell is Titanic? <laughs> yeah, what the hell is uh, Titanic? Okay, I think I my say, my Ro- big thing at the start of this dis- this part of the discussion was the uh, handcuff axe scene. That was one of the big yes. things we didn't get to talk about in the first part. So, what did you want to get to with the scenes or next, Zach? All right, we're gonna break down every scene in the movie, cat in the hat style. <sighs> All right, so the film begins with. Um, no, I, there's I a flaming toilet in one of the, uh, the cabins. <laughs> <laughs> Is that some Tannic reference? No, that's cat in the hat at the end when they're gliding oh. through the house and there's a flaming toilet. Oh, I forget that. Oh my God. That movie keeps getting better and better. Well, um, I think, I think that might be the most realistic thing. Either of us has said in this part of the discussion where you go, is that a Thumbtanic reference? And I go, no, that's a Cat in the Hat reference. And you say, I totally forgot about that movie because that movie is a fever dream, which we love. <laughs> yes, Cat in the Hat is nothing. Oh, God, beautiful. Chef's kiss. Yeah, I mean, I, I only had like a few bits and pieces of Titanic to talk about. Um, I, I think something maybe just to connect it to what we were saying before. We went on this. See, Zach's having fun because I edit this stuff now, so it's crazy. Mm. Um, I you mentioned the scene where Rose is looking for Jack when she knows that he's been detained, and mm. she goes into the kind of lower decks of the ship and she yells at that guy and she says something like, "You know, where would you keep a prisoner?" That type of thing. 
um, and she ends up yelling at him and exerting some force. I think, I, uh, just to harp on this again, because I don't think there's a way that we're ever going to reconcile our differences, Jimmy C. pushed Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio to their limits. Like, they had to wade through water. Yes. I, I, I think I appreciate Kate Winslet's role more for the fact that she is so angry not because that's what the movie wants, but because that's what she physically was pushed to. Like, I see Jimmy C. in this movie as a Kubrick style. Like we talked about in The Shining in Room 237, when, you know, Stanley Kubrick was basically like, Shelley Duvall, you're a fucking <laughs> stupid bitch, I hate you. I kind, I don't think Jimmy C. was a negative towards Kate Winslet, but she oh, had to feel some some pressure just from dealing with these circumstances right oh yeah oh yeah no, i think i don't know if jimmy c berates people specifically but like he does uh he does like come down hard on them i because it's funny there's really i would imagine a lot of it comes down to non-disclosure agreements because you never hear stories about just like jimmy c's like difficult on set yeah you yeah. don't you don't get specific stories about him i i i have to agree i mean even before this with um the abyss I would imagine that's where Jimmy C started to do those NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, because everybody almost died on the filming of The Abyss. <laughs> Not everybody, just Ed Harris. He almost like <laughs> he almost he, he almost killed Ed Harris. He almost mentally broke. Well, everybody yeah, else. he almost killed Ed Harris. Isn't that the scene? There's also the scene, the defibrillator scene. Yes, where, uh, where the woman was like, "I'm not doing this again. I'm not a fucking animal." That type yeah. of thing. <laughs> she, she she went all Elephant Man on Jimmy C. She's like, "I am a human being. I am not an animal." <laughs> Quick connection. I don't think I mentioned this in our first part of the discussion. Um, Ismay, Mister Ismay, is played by the dad slash hunter from Jumanji. I don't think I mentioned oh, that. I did not know that. Um, I don't have his name written down. And I don't like to look things up in real time. But I, I wanted to bring this up because I think he's a great actor. I think Ismay, like we talked about in our first part of the discussion, one of the best micro moments in the movie is when he gets on the uh, lifeboat. And it does the, the, the focus pulling from him to First Commander Murdoch. But I have to bring this up because in recent years, probably the last two, three years, I see people on Twitter or stupid meme sites and they go... I was today years old when I realized that the father from Jumanji is the same uh. actor that plays the hunter. And people are blown away by this. And I'm like, so you didn't see the movie. That's the point of the fucking movie. Like, like Robin Williams, when he gets out of Jumanji in the jungle, is being chased by his father. That's the fucking conceit of the movie. Your thoughts, Zach, on Jumanji and that, that idea. I've never seen Jumanji. Well... <laughs> tune in next week after we do tusk we're gonna do jumanji no um no no this may no this may stuff is great like it, it nails exactly what it has to nail yeah but one thing i i know god we haven't talked about this in forever but the the infamous four-hour cut of titanic sinking the mist which i have watched and rob hasn't there is one moment in the four-hour cut that's not in the two-hour cut where I think, I think in all honesty, it's a scene that I would have loved to have seen in Titanic, even though it kind of takes away from the uh, Jack Rose thing. So it probably wouldn't fit, but I love, I would have loved to have seen it in the film. Sure. Is um, there's a part where Ismay is disembarking like from the Carpathia, and all the people who were rescued kind of just sit there and just kind of glare at him as he slowly like walks down the um oh god what's it called the the 
oh god, there's a term for it when you walk down the thing that connects it to the dock. I, like I said, it, it's a great moment. I, the moment in the actual Titanic film between Murdoch and Ismay conveys the same point. Oh, the yeah. shame, the embarrassment, the the all that sort of stuff. Uh, but there's a couple of things in this that, like, I, I know I talked about it earlier when I said, like, obviously this film feels like not the same way to me as when I was a child, though. But, like, certainly yeah. some of the romance stuff kind of, like was definitely over my head in my adolescent years that I'm only kind of appreciating now. Sure. But like kind of like the moment where Rose is sitting there, like like she's like her and um I'm sorry, she's getting into the lifeboat. Um and Billy Zane's like, just do it. Like Jack and I, there's another boat for Jack and I. And then like they're having their conversation where he's like 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 I'll like he says Billy Zane's like I'll survive but you won't. And Rose kind of just sees him. We have that moment where she's just again once again giving her credit where she's like just like looking up at him and you see her like looking back at the kids crying about their father, mm-hmm. the, like the the illumination lights going off in the background above Jack's head. Then the music just slowly starts to swell like and she jumps over and he goes, Rose, one of the many times she says that throughout the film. <laughs> and, he, and, and like in like they're, they're like they're like, Miss, get back on board. And she like goes running back onto the like she climbs over like the thing and she goes like run, they go running to the grand staircase and he's like he's just like chasing like he's like and he had again you gotta give DiCaprio credit he's not as good as her but he's still great and then the quote Rob's favorite line from the movie you're so stupid Rose you're, you're so, so stupid, stupid Rose why are you so stupid <laughs> but like there's like oh my god like they're like the hopeless romantic in me my heart just swells in that moment well no and, I I don't disagree with you but I think the the thing that gets me with the scene that you just mentioned is um, Leonardo DiCaprio as Jack is so aware of what's going on. I know we mentioned it before, the scene that gets parodied in the Thumbtanic where it's like, when you hit the water, don't breathe the water. In the actual movie, it works fantastically because he's being pragmatic. But I love that scene with Billy Zane where Rose gets on the lifeboat and Billy Zane's like, Jack and I will get off because I have a deal on the other side of the ship. And then when she gets out of earshot, Jack goes, you're a good liar. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, he's a smart dude in this movie for sure. And then, like, it's getting some more of the romance stuff because, like, some of my favorite – probably my favorite – oh, God. Over the years, I've had a bunch of favorite musical cues. Like, my favorite musical cue from the entire movie. And I wish I, I wish it had a name because, like, it's in a couple places throughout the film. But my favorite one is when basically it, it, the very, very last sequence of the movie where we go back down to the ship and we have everybody. It's kind of the, again, dream sequence. Oh, death oh yeah, sequence. yeah. Like I say in the first part, the V for Vendetta ending. Yeah. Knock it off. Knock it <laughs> off. Don't you dare. I and, like making I, Zach angry. <laughs> angry. Because, no, it's way like, – I love V for Vendetta, but, like, I, I haven't seen the movie forever. I like V for Vendetta. I don't love it. But, like, I – It's the I best love... Wachowski movie not directed by the Wachowskis. <laughs> sure. Um, but, no, like, that's always been my favorite musical cue from the entire film. But, like, there's a – my second favorite probably, and this is probably, like, a hard second too – is the music that plays when Jack is drawing her. And I oh. want some of that. It's called the, the, the title of the track is called The Portrait. And I want some of that inserted here. So serious.
I believe you are blushing, Mr. Big Artiste. I can't imagine Monsieur Monet blushing. He does landscapes. Just relax your face. Sorry. No laughing. I just love that so much. Like it's such a, like a, a simple melody, but like it conveys so much. Again, once again, like think about that entire sequence. Like everybody makes fun of Jimmy C for his kind of clunky dialogue. Yet once again, he's drawing her nude. All you have is his eye line. It cuts back to her kind of like naked from the torso up. Cause it is also only PG 13 after all. And the whole time you have this kind of just like beautiful kind of piano melody, just kind of in the background doing its thing. And then once again, at the end of that sequence, we transition back into Gloria Stewart Rose. Yep. And it's just, and she's like, and at that point, you have everybody on the on the um, research vessel kind of just huddled around, being like, it was the most romantic, or was, was she not romantic? She says the most what? Oh God, what's the exact term she uses? Erotic. She goes, it was the most erotic moment in my life <laughs> up until that moment. That is, and she's like, and like, I could, oh my god, it's it's so perfect though. Like, like in any other movie, having an actress taking off their clothes halfway through would be seen as like gratuitous. It's only there for a specific reason. Yet, like, it doesn't think about that. You have an actress, a young, attractive actress, getting naked, and it does not feel exploitative in in a slight minuscule way. Yeah, yeah, I think we said it in our first part that I really like where she, Kate Winslet is like, you know, I want you to draw me wearing this, only this. And it narratively perfect. It's not exploitative like you said. I I love and, it. But think of how but again, distill that to its essence and imagine how hard that is to do that. Imagine having a sequence in the script where you're like, okay, my lead ingenue is going to get naked. Well, sure. And it's not and it's not going to be gratuitous in any way. It's perfect. Like it's like think of how hard that is to do. Yeah, it's one of God, probably a million things that happens in this movie that not even once it crosses anybody's minds. Yeah, yeah. I, I I mean I have to imagine that there's kind of some discrepancy between like a Jimmy C level filmmaker who's doing it with this intention in mind versus more modern movies where they're like Oh, if we got boobs, we gotta own the boobs. Well, like take take the most comparable film to this, uh, Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor. And yes, I don't think there is any. It that is, came it out was, of nowhere. <laughs> no, it, it, I haven't it, seen because, Pearl Harbor since high school, middle school. <laughs> oh my god, Rob! The the four years happening. We'll be talking about oh, it. Oh, I think that's one of the movies that's on the Fort Eternity of next year that I'm not it happy is. about. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about Pearl Harbor. But like, I don't think there is any like PG-13 nudity in Pearl Harbor. I could be wrong. I know there's a couple of sex scenes in that movie. Like Kate Beckinsale gets passed around a lot. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> that's a plot. That's a plot point. That's a plot point. That that um, I'm gonna cut that out and make it a promotional material for cinematographies. <laughs> yeah, Kate Beckinsale gets passed around a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but like, I know, like, in for that sex scene she has with Josh Harnett in the film, like, it's like, okay, 
here comes your sex scene because you need a sex scene to appeal to the teenagers in yeah, the audience. Yeah. And yet, like, you have two moments like that in Titanic. You have the, you know, the, 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 the portrait scene is not a sex scene. It's sure. still nudity. Yep. Then you have this, then you have the sex scene and yet like, it's a sex scene, but like, it's not meant to be like, it's, it's sexy, but in the most tasteful way possible. Yeah. It's the first time people ever had sex in a car. Like we talked about. Perfect. Oh my God. Oh my Okay, okay. Cars did not exist. Cars only existed like two years before this movie. I am going to take your goofy ass point and I'm gonna add it to my my discussion in an effective, tasteful manner. I uh expect to (laughs) say in in any in any other movie, name one other tasteful car sex scene in any other movie in history. Ooh, um, Mm-hmm. Okay, and remember when we talked about The Shining, we talk about things like, oh, it's a de- it's like a lot of sequences where the definitive this, the definitive that when it comes sure, to Stanley sure, Kubrick. Yeah. Like, name another car sex scene that's A, tasteful, period, and B, as good as this one. That, it's impossible. Tasteful car sex scene. When you say tasteful, I have a thought. When you say as good as this one, I think that's where it loses it. I don't think they have sex, but I do like the neon demon car date scene between that that's not a sex scene though. it's not exactly you're right um it's not a sex scene other than that nothing really comes to mind exactly think about it. jimmy c in titanic and again but i don't like know the... what you're saying it it still could be the first time people have sex in a car i'm, I'm... not arguing with that but okay, i'm taking okay. your goofy <laughs> ass point and i'm using it to, as, a, as a talking point to my tasteful discussion <laughs> I'm a springboard. <laughs> yes, you are. But yes, that's what I mean, though. Like, come on. This movie does not like, – this movie gets a lot of credit, yet it somehow doesn't get enough credit at the same time. Sure, sure. Love this movie. I love the romance. I, I, this movie is pro- – like the same way that like Disney princess movies have ruined a lot of women, this movie has ruined me for romance. Mm. I want my faithful, whimsical romance where I meet the love of my life as I'm sitting there talking to an Irish man in over-the-top Italian – as the love of my life comes walking out on top a couple of decks higher than me, then Billy Zane tries to manhandle them. If I don't get that in my life, I will die disappointed. Uh, fair, fair. I mean, uh, one thing that you just mentioned that I want to We will to bring both up. not fit on the door. Well, no, no, of course not. Um, well, actually, when you bring that up, two things I want to mention. Uh, one, Billy Zane. Delightful. Wonderful in Twin Peaks Season 2. We didn't Incredible mention that. Incredible in Titanic. Well, he's twirling inc- his, his well, yes, incredible mustache. in Titanic. I will also never forget that uh, Cheryl and Fenn, in, right before Billy Zane has to leave, goes, <sighs> I'm a virgin, let's fuck. And I'm like, Billy Zane, I'm so jealous right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> Cheryl and Fenn is beautiful. But two, I really want to bring up the fact that I hear a lot of people, even before I rewatch this movie, you know, not, like I said in the first part of the discussion, not seeing it for years... A lot of people say, oh, why couldn't they both fit on the door? Like, why did Jack have to die? We get a scene in the movie of Jack trying to get on the door and it starts to sink. I know. Like, the fuck? These people are fucking morons. I know. I never, I never, I never understood that as like a weird, like, cultural, like, like, debate issue. I, I just never got that. I, I don't understand it, especially. I never understood it when I, 
was not familiar as I am now with this movie because I think, like, every time I heard that, I'm like, that's the fucking conceit of this movie, that one of them has to die because the whole point of the movie is that Rose gets to live the life that she wants to live because she was set free by Jack, which I think I said in the first part of this discussion. But then I watched the movie, and there's an explicit scene detailing that they both can't fit on the fucking door. I I know. God People are damn dumb. it. John People Justice Wheeler, Billy Zane's character in Twin Peaks season two, is great though. Can we talk about that for a little bit? No, no, you no. don't. No, no. Why not? Until you buy Twin Peaks on Blu-ray, you don't get to make any comments <laughs> on the record. He's not even in the return. <laughs> I know. Um. Oh my god. But uh, no, I, I, I really, I'm so glad we're in agreement because I think everybody. I, I mean, maybe that's the idea of this movie having such a cultural impact that people misunderstand it and turn it into a meme, like the door thing, like the Leo's death scene. Maybe that's the hallmark of a great movie or a great artistic creation that people misinterpret it and make it internet famous. I don't like that, but that seems like what Titanic has become. Well, it's like what everything's become. It's not exclusive to this. Sure. Well, sure. I think, like I said, that's the hallmark of a great artistic creation. Um, I'm sure there's other examples. I mean, you know, nobody wants to talk about any of the first two hours of The Usual Suspects. It's just that Kevin Spacey is Kaiser Sose. But there's way more to that movie. I mean, I'm sure there's some other examples I'm misremembering, but... It seems like people want to distill these great works to moments, minutes, seconds. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. Okay. Um, I mean, even I think we talked about it with Paul Bartel, where um, something I do want to bring up on this episode, unfortunately, I don't think Zach's going to like it. Uh, Cinema Sins. Cinema Sins, back when we did Death Race 2000, um, they covered Death Race 2000, and at the one of the last sins, I'm doing air quotes, that they covered, they were like, oh, Paul Bartel directed this? The guy that was in Usual Suspects calling the cab for two seconds? And I'm like, I, I hate CinemaSins, but I hate them even more for thinking Paul Bartel is just a character actor in Usual Suspects. I, I have to bring up as well. Kind of tangential to this point. Oh, my God. After we did our first part of this discussion, I did watch the CinemaSins for Titanic. <gasps> oh, my God. It oh is God. garbage. CinemaSins is a fucking cancer on the universe, as far yes. as I'm concerned, which you said before. I think most of the sins they give this movie, they are completely missing the point of this movie, which I hope in our discussion we are getting at is why this movie succeeds so well. But I do have to say... They do a bonus round at the end of the video. For and Jack they, and Rose? They have a super cut of Jack and Rose, and it's amazing. Oh, do they? And it's fantastic. Uh, but yes, uh, the romance. Um, I love the romance so goddamn much. Um, oh, God. Even with the Jack. Jack. And, and like, and then even the fact, that like, and she like, starts like, rattling his, his hand. She's like, there's a boat, Jack. There's a boat. And, well. like, this, and then like she slowly comes like this is the part I love. I love that like well, I love all of it. All of it is perfect. Everything is perfection. Um That's the like, worst I think I said this in the first part. That is the worst portion of the movie. No, no. Jack, and like you can Jack and she, Jack and she starts Jack, but, Jack, but the th- Jack but Jack it's not Jack. like that at all. And then she, sl- <laughs> but like she, there's a boat, Jack, and like there's the sl- like then the, like you hear like the, like the bass drop, 
and the music starts to come in and, and like she has the realization that he's gone and she's like, I'll never let go, Jack. I'll never let go. And she like kisses his hand and she like lets him go. And then like she sits there, has that moment of empowerment where she sees the guy from the whistle earlier and she swims over to him. And he's like, you have this great, like this kind of like musical cue of her like getting in motion and here. Come about. Well, that that is the that is the moment that makes sense. It gives me goosebumps. It gives me goosebumps. I like that we have the whistle establishment. I I want that whole. I want the whole clip of "There's a Boat, Jack." God, I I have to listen to it again. Yeah, yes. I want to where you hear the whistle and then you cut and it stops right with Gloria Stewart and you have like there was there were six there was what like eighteen boats nineteen boats uh, oh god there was nineteen boats in the ocean that night. Only one came back. One. Ah. Oh. Jack. There's a boat. Jack. 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 There's a boat, Jack. Jack. movie so much folks there's no it's a, there's it's a, re- a hot take it's a great movie <laughs> it's not a hot take it should be it should be like a commandment in the freaking bible this like, is a hot got... take for rob it's a it's Fine. a good movie 
<laughs> it should be a rule that you might not have to like Titanic, but you have to appreciate it as cinematic perfection. It's perfect. Like, ah, it's, that I think that's where we disagree. That it's not perfection. perfection. But it's just, really it is. It. I think it's fair to say that it's a cinematic magnum opus. To, to quote Rob's username on everything since two thousand eight. <laughs> it's. It's that's a weird reference, but yes, like it is. Like I, I God, I, I go back and forth between like the original Star Wars and Titanic. I'm like, God, these are both so perfect. But like I think I think Titanic is more meticulously crafted than Star Wars, like original Star Wars, like the like oh, Star Wars. Well, 1977. I, I have nothing to disagree with you there. The, the original Star Wars is a fucking mess. <laughs> that that is a problematic comment, but that's something left for another day to discuss. Um, no, so like the final thing about Titanic, it's perfect. I love everything. Love the ending to the movie. The having the camera go to all the. Uh, the photos on the window. I can't say window. So what? The ch- chest trunk. Oh, that oh Rose brings there. Yeah, I, I love that. That's set up at the beginning of the movie when um, Ro- old Rose shows up to the ship, and it's like she's got a lot of luggage, you know, that type of thing. And it's yes. all Titanic-related memorabilia and pictures. Well, it's not all Titanic. It's all stuff. Nah, I don't. What we think see so. at least, I think. No, well, you see the. Uh, it's it's just the pictures and stuff, and we sit there. And it all pays off, like you said, at the very end, whereas the camera, like, you have that moment, like, with Billy, oh, God, uh, Bill Pack, I almost said Billy Zane, Bill Paxton <laughs> and Susie Amos, where yep. he's like, I never let it in. Then we have Rose, she drops the heart of the heart of the ocean into the ocean. Great, great scene, yeah. Great. Like, she gets on the side of the thing, she climbs on her bare feet, it's like, oh, God, it's so beautiful. And then, like, we cut to her, like, we look up, and, like, I'm sorry, again, we go up to the, um... Oh, got to her uh, her cabin room, and the music starts to slowly just trickle in as it passes. And you have that beautiful, beautiful Titanic melody yep. as it goes back all through all these pictures throughout her entire life where she accomplished all these things that she was going to do with Jack, and yep. she did them by herself. And then we kind of just goes over her eyes as we slowly go down into the depths of the ocean to the ship in its decrepit state or it's state of disrepair mm-hmm. as the camera then goes into the promenade deck. And as we slow, as we quickly kind of just float over it, like a specter, it makes it, we, it, the, the ship just transforms itself into what it once was as we make a hard 180 degree turn into the grand staircase. And we have the, um, some of the crew, uh, not the crew, but just, we have two people open up the doors. Be for vendetta. The- yes. Stop. <laughs> Knock it off. <laughs> It's beautiful. It's like the well, most beautiful I, thing that's ever happened in my life. Even, even though now I think I've said this three times to make Zach angry, this no. ending is better than the V for Vendetta ending. Every This ending is better than any ending of every movie ever to exist. Well, yes, I yes, don't know if I'd I, go that I, I, far. Yes, it's perfect. It's perfect. Thank you I so love, much, Nicole. I Thank love you so what much, happened for doing... at the end of Oddsack. I think that might no, be the best no, ending. No, best um, ending ever. Nicole, you're incredible for suggesting this. Rob, was, Rob should have deleted the email. <laughs> um, and then as, as the camera goes and we see everybody, the camera kind of goes back and forth, like a head just going back and forth, looking at everybody. Is Jack is waiting for her at the top of the staircase. Oh God, well, my well, heart swoon. Nah, so- nah, nah, nah. My heart just that. Nah. My heart just swoons. Oh my God! And then, like as we and the camera slowly pans around him as we see Rose going to him as they embrace and kiss and everybody applauds. I, I oh. think you're you're thinking I'm going to be a little negative, but I have to I ask it. you. I love it. Something I really like about that last scene 
is that when the camera you know, swivels up the grand staircase, which it did earlier in the movie, when Jack is, you know, first introduced to um, the the fancy class, I guess, in in this death scene, I would uh, say it, Jack is not in a tuxedo. He's in his original clothes. Yes. That makes that scene. Yes, it does. I, I, that's what I wanted sequence. to pick your brain about. So, Zach, you know, oh, I can be real sometimes. <laughs> but, yes. no, I, I love the fact that when we get our V for Vendetta ending, hey uh, that we see Leonardo DiCaprio in his original, like, common class clothes. Well, his pa- well, his that's pa- his how Rose is seeing him. Yes, yeah, she loved him. Yeah. She loves him. That's what matters. <laughs> I know, and that's why it's beautiful, and that's why every that's why what I aspire to in my romances in real life, and I will die. Uh, what's the word? Unfulfilled because I want that. I like I said, <laughs> this movie has ruined me. I love this movie so goddamn much. Anything that falls short of this is is going to just ruin me. And, and yes, that is part of Zach's uh, hiatus from Cinemonies as well. Titanic is perfect, post folks. Go watch it. Nicole's amazing for suggesting this movie. Lice check. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I cannot disagree with you that even though I have problems with this movie, like we talked about in our first uh, portion of this discussion, it works so goddamn well. I have yes. problems because of my own personal afflictions, I guess I would say, but this movie works so goddamn well. It's 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 fucking phenomenal. God. All right, with all that being said, I now want to switch gears and talk about the alternate ending. Oh. Because cuz and before we even discuss this, I'm going to ask Rob to insert the after we just talked about it, I want Rob to insert the entire clip of the alternate ending okay. here. It's like what, a minute? The extra scene? It, it's like four minutes. It's really? about four or five oh, minutes. Oh, yeah. oh, wow. Okay. I didn't watch it. I Well, I guess we should say, since this is a two-part discussion, um, I watched the movie and I watched the alternate ending, and then we discussed it, and then like a week went by, and we're discussing it again. So yes. I will I will put it in. Oh, my God. Jesus. come any closer. I'll drop it. You had it the entire time? (laughs) The hardest part about being so poor was being so rich. But every time I thought about selling it, I thought of Cal. And somehow, I made it without his help. Holy shit. Look, Rose, I don't know what to say to a woman who tries to jump off the Titanic when it's not sinking and then jumps back on when it is. (laughs) We're not dealing with logic here, I know that, but please, think about this for a second. Oh, I've thought about this for years. And I've come all the way here to put it back where it belongs. Wait. Just let me hold it in my hand. Please. Just once.
You look for treasure in the wrong place, Mr. Lovett. Only life is priceless. And making each day count. Would you like to dance? But I I know we said it in kind of the first part. I'll do some editing, of course, to make this make sense, but is once again, I want to reiterate, I think that the alternate ending of the Titanic with the people being angry about the heart of the ocean being thrown overboard, this is the equivalent of Utopia at the end of Aliens. Or, sorry, no, Terminator 2. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I think these are the same thing where Jimmy C overreached and went, no, we don't need that. But yes. your thoughts, your thoughts on the um, the uh, the shaggy-haired Watchmen t-shirt wearing guy Lewis, screaming Lewis at the old Abernathy. woman. Louis Abernathy, who was, I think, the director or writer of Deep Star 6, which is like, like an alien underwater movie. Okay, shaggy hair, uh, Watchmen guy, screaming, sure. <laughs> yes, I, like I said, no, 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 that, the alternate ending is cancer. Um, it's horrible. It's so, um, so no bad, bad. good. I think it's it, horrible. It, it misses the point, like, if this, if this part or scenes were in the movie jimmy c is overreaching with the fact that we still care about bill paxton after two hours of listening to rose's story about the titanic who gives a fuck about bill paxton anymore yeah well it's not that it's not that we don't care it's it's the fact that like the movie is no longer about the search for the heart of the heart of the ocean it's about Jack and Rose. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like like we and, said in our first part of the discussion, the, the absolute cap to this movie is when Bill Paxton and Susie Amos are on the deck of the boat and they go, I never really understood Titanic until I heard this story. And Susie Amos goes, Jimmy C, marry me. <laughs> exactly. But that that's uh, the perfect ending to this movie. And I love when... Old Rose throws the heart of the ocean over the ship, 
and we talked about it in our first part of the discussion, what does that mean for the narrative? And I think that's the point of this movie. We can discuss what it means for the narrative. When you include the deleted scene, it takes away all of the mystery. And we have anger, and we have fucking treasure hunters being angry. And I'm so glad Jimmy C. saved that for Ghosts of the Deep and Aliens of the Abyss, because that's where it belongs. Exactly. But yeah, I I, I think everything can be summed up in um, That Sucks Lady. He actually, Louis Abernathy actually says that, that really sucks, lady. He yells. <laughs> and then like, because he lets Bill, because she lets Bill Paxton hold it. Then she like tosses it over her shoulder. It's the um, that's... worst thing. I think I might hate this more than the Utopia at the end of Terminator 2. Really? Yeah, because Terminator 2, at least that makes sense. Jimmy C had some idea of like, oh, they saved the world. This is Utopia. Mm-hmm. This is just fucking nonsense. Indeed it is. He actually, after like she throws it, he actually walks away. You can hear him like mumbling things under his breath. Like it's, it's, I would, it's embarrassing almost. It's horrible. Like it's, it's, it's cancer. It's, it's, it's the worst thing that could have happened. It really is. And I, I think honestly that, you know, this is one of the things that I really like about Jimmy C, you know, talking about uh, Terminator 2, the deleted scene, Utopia, talking about this. He can actually look at a scene and say, okay, we don't need this. He might have lost that with Avatar. I think maybe 40 minutes could have been cut out of that fucking movie. But at least back in the day, he knew when to say, well, we don't need to worry about this. Yes. Yes. Oh, God. It's so bad. Bill Paxton. Bill there's, Paxton there's, sucks in this scene too. I I think that's something I don't know if you were everybody get to. everybody except Gloria Stewart sucks in that scene. Yeah, it, it's so stale. It's like they did one take. <laughs> I know. There's no good way to film that scene because it shouldn't exist. It's an abomination. <laughs> it's basically crying for itself to die. It's like kill me, kill me. Like that's what should have ha- like what happens apparently to the shining sequence of like the hospital at the end of the film where like Stanley Kubrick like exercised it from existence. That's what mm. should happen to that sequence from Titanic. Like it should be a like legend. No more. I agree. Well, with all that being said, Zach, were there any other things you want to talk about with the Titanic, or should we get into our questions? I there's I have one final question. Okay, I actually, okay. one final comment in one question in one question. Okay, We're there was getting said, out of this episode. <laughs> we are never getting out of this episode. for literally the next two years. Zach and I, every time we talk, will be about the Titanic. <laughs> it's Titanic. It's Titanic's <laughs> cast. That's what it is. Rob, I already know what our next Titanic topic slash movie is going to be. So there's an SNL skit that was done like I think in '98, where it's very similar to the alternate ending of Titanic, where it's actually Bill Paxton. He's like beating up like Gloria Stewart, like trying to get the heart of the ocean from her. And then like at the end, at the end of the segment, like it cuts to Jimmy. It's actually Jimmy C. Like in front of a computer bay. He's like, "Hi, I'm James Cameron, director of Titanic. What you saw was some of the movie making magic." And he's like, and he has this little spiel. Maybe Rob can find it. He'll insert it. And he's like, "I and here's from me to you, wishing you." being the king of the world and he picks up a cigar and lights it with a flaming hundred dollar bill <laughs> yes but okay last last thing because i i think we've exhausted my notes uh for sure so what do you got left for titanic zach what happened between 1997 and 2009 where oh, jimmy c no. goes from creating the greatest film ever made to creating a two and a half hour science fiction dreck about blue people 
this should not be the last question because I have a lot to say about this. I honestly think Jimmy C went the Robert Zemeckis route. I I find their careers very similar because both of them had blockbuster films that changed the cinema landscape. And then they both went, I don't care about making good movies. I care about making technology. Okay. Robert Zemeckis, of course, is the dude that basically invented mocap in terms of Hollywood. Jimmy C, when he goes from Titanic to Avatar, he's the one where I can fucking do 3D better than anybody else. And they both lost a step. That's my thought. That's my thought on filmmaking right now, Zach. Uh, is that what you were looking for, or did I go totally off the rails? <laughs> no, I was just curious. No, no. You, I, I asked a broad question, and you gave me a very specific answer. So uh, thank you. All right, Rob. Titanic 1997. Cinemodity uh, and or late night movie. Here we go. Uh, Cinemodities? Absolutely not. I I think I'm actually going to take a page out of the Zach playbook. I know where this is going. If a movie is this successful, it cannot be a cinemodity. Even you're, though I disagree you're, with you're that, you're calling the, to- the total code, uh, the total recall precedent. Ah, yeah, the total recall precedent. That's what it should be called. Uh, I cannot say this is cinemodity, and at the same time, at a little over three hours. No, for late night. There's so many other things I would want to list. Or play for other people, even though, like I said, I think this is a good movie. I'm going no for both. So, Zach, would you like to... I don't know, how how can we get an orgasm on an audio podcast? I think that's, <laughs> that's the question. That's not hard. I have you. a feeling that's not hard to do. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Zach, cinemas in late night, what do you think? Oh, my God. Um... Rob, I'm curious. What do you think my 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 things gonna be for this? What do you think? I'm curious. Uh, I think for cinemodity, um, you're gonna go. I really like this movie. Oh! And then for late night, you're gonna go. I also really like. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I think that I cannot control you for these two questions because, as we've established in these two discussions, you are. A goofy goober when it comes to Titanic. <laughs> Rob wants to describe, describe me as the anomaly, folks. I am the anomaly. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say as a cinemati, no, for obvious, the, the, the total recall precedent. But also because I think this movie is sheer perfection. There's nothing odd about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, for late night movie, hell to the yeah. Like, I, I want that. I want yeah in all caps in the spreadsheet. Well, I think um, this is th- something we haven't talked about. Is the we, We've talked about a lot about the, the, um, <laughs> the differences and the kind of, you know, context of late night movies. This might be the longest movie we've ever discussed. Maybe. Probably. Can that be a late night movie? Can we fucking, you know, yes. Ludovico technique somebody for three, fifty, no, three hours, not, 15 minutes? Not, no, I don't think it's Ludovico technique. I think this movie is so engrossing. Like numerous times it'd be on cable. And it'd just be like, well, well that's nine o'clock you, at night. Zach, I'm talking on, about I'm Titanic. the people I know who want, but well, not even I know this the world. They want bite size movies how do we get 315 to them without the ludovico technique there's a reason why this film made 1.8 billion dollars i'm gonna let the movie do it the movie is its own ludovico technique 
that might be the greatest thing you've ever said on this podcast. <laughs> Titanic is its own Ludovico technique. Exactly. <laughs> I, I stand right by that. I stand by that. You do not. It's one of the very few movies. It, it gets people in. I got and no problem Rob, with that. I got no problem with that. Remember how Rob started his podcast by saying you get people in your clutches and you don't let them go, so you shove them. Like he basically made the movie going experience into some sort of like weird like rape sequence. Um, the Titanic does that for you. Titanic grabs you. Titanic grabs you and doesn't let you go. No, you. I, I like what you say, Zach. Um, I, I think this is kind of a foregone conclusion that we were going to have a little disagreement about late night. And I think that brings us to snacks. I don't have a lot of snacks, so I wanted to throw it over to you first. Giant spiders. <sighs> okay, well, you stole half of my snacks. Uh, <laughs> well, well, no, I actually did not have any giant spiders as snacks. Um, I think that is a fact of history more than anything else. Um, if uh, you know your teachers ever tell you different that an iceberg crashed the Titanic, uh, most of the damage was done by a giant spider. That's fair. I think the first thing I wanted to say is at the Cinemarie's restaurant, something I don't think we got at in either of these discussions, we offer spitting lessons. <laughs> Zach All loves right, it, clearly. It took, it took me about a, a second and a half to figure that out. Like well, well I, I think because we didn't mention it in any of our other discussions, this is the one thing from the Titanic movie that is so goofy that Thumbtanic didn't need to change to parody that it's just a spitting lesson scene. <laughs> Fair. I can take that. So we offer spitting lessons. My only other snack I I don't have snacks, I guess I should say. My other one was a um an event in the or a walk around character. We have a Billy Zane walk around character. Yes. That smashes customers' food off of their table and screams at them, You will not behave like this again! <laughs> Instead of twirling his mustache, he twirls his toupee. Exactly, exactly. And hell, I mean, as far as I know, Billy Zane needs some work, so let's get him at the restaurant. <laughs> exactly. John Justice Wheeler. All right, I, all right, I have one thing I'm adding to the restaurant. Okay, okay. Much like the Dune from Jodorowsky's Dune. I want the Titanic from Titanic. What, uh, like the ship? Did I stutter? No, you didn't, but I'm just confused. What? So, like I, Infinite Void. We had the room for it. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having All trouble right. understanding this right now. <laughs> Period. All right, moving on. What are we doing next month, Rob? Is this is fans member fans giving comes to a close? This is the month? last episode of fans giving. Um, I'm glad we're finally finishing up the concept of Titanic. No, 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 no. I at least I know there's going to be at least one more Titanic discussion in our future, and I know the movie it's going to come from. Oh God, I don't know what it's coming from. Um, so I think the only <laughs> thing left to say is how do we end this episode? And I think Zach, we can be in complete agreement. It's uh, my heart will go on in reverse, right? I I I think so. There's no other way to do this. Did I tell you I found a parody? Oh, this is a fun story. I there was this parody that I found on LimeWire <laughs> back freshman year of high school called "My Fart Will Go On," and I don't even know if I have it. We'll have to. I'll have to send it to Rob. If you I have it, I... send it to me. But what you just said to me, I will look for it. That's I don't so know. crazy. 
No, but like, no, ask me this one specific version. Because I remember once I had it, I played it in the car. My mother got so mad at me. I wouldn't turn it off. She actually like slammed the radio off and screamed at me. And actually, because my mother never said curse words. <laughs> she actually said, turn that shit off. Like she screamed. Like she was mad. Never forget that. Why can't I be like you, Jack? Well, come on, I'll show you. Let's do it. What? I'll show you how. Come no. on. Jack, oh, come no. on. Jack, no. Wait, Jack. Come on. I- no, Jack, I couldn't possibly, Jack. Watch closely. That's disgusting. <laughs> All right, your turn. That was pitiful. Get some leverage to it. Use your arms. Arc your neck. Can you see the range on that thing? Mm-hmm. Okay, go. Oh, that was better. You got to work on it. Really? Get some body to it, you know? You got to... God, look at that thing. Stay back. Don't come any closer. Mother. Turn that shit off, man. What's wrong with you, man? Get the other record. Never will forget that. Yes, folks, next month on Cinemodies, much like last December, we are bringing back December Plus. Growl power. Except this one. Yes, growl power. Growl power. Growl power, and we are doing Dancing December Plus. I just closed my Titanic notes. I'm pulling up my Cheetah Girls notes. Okay, good. Thanksgiving Cinemodities. I heard this. Happy Cinemodities. Thanksgiving. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I will. Uh, this, is, this is why we can't have nice things, folks. I love the titties. I love the song. This is why we can't have nice things. <laughs>